0: Good. <laughs> live from beautiful los angeles california this is one-on-one new york's longest running sports call-in show from the los angeles convention center as part of radio row nick deluca mike messina mike legan and jack roach so happy that you could join us here from super bowl week here in the convention center guys really excited to kick this week off with you here on -on one-on-one, so many great people that we're going to have an opportunity to speak to and a lot of football to preview, among other things, and should be a really exciting week.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm thrilled to be here. I know for me personally, this is like a lifelong dream come true. As a kid, listening to whether it was Boomer and Carton, Mike Francesa on the fan, Uh, Radio row was always a big deal to me. So now to be out here, and not only are we surrounded by so many just great media personalities, just so, so many NFL legends, I mean... We already saw Joe Montana a few minutes ago just behind us. Ron Jaworski's walking around. Uh, we got some great guests who are NFL legends themselves coming up. Uh, it's just so great to be out here, and it's a great Super Bowl week, too. we got a great game coming up. So, Jack, yeah. how are you feeling?
2: I'm feeling great. You can just feel the energy in here walking around, seeing everyone, you know, speaking to one another. And, listen, we're just getting started here, but I'm having a great time just physically in this space. We've got some great interviews coming up, and... You know, I wouldn't want to be with anyone else. We've got a great crew here, so I'm excited for the rest of the day. Hopefully throughout the week we get more interviews as they
3: come on. We have four scheduled for right now, but it should be a great week ahead, talking all things football, Rams, Bengals, and anything else going on right now.
0: Mike mentioned the interviews lined up right now. Bob Golick, three-time Pro Bowler. Doug Freeman, the co-founder of the Arena Football Association. Marcus McNeil, former Chargers Pro Bowl left tackle. Lee Steinberg will join us. Later on this afternoon, NFL agent guy who has amassed over $300 million for his clients, you know, signing Patrick Mahomes, among others. So he's doing a really good job for those guys trying to negotiate the contracts. But really fascinated to get some good insight from a number of people just on this game in particular. You know, always great to be able to, to talk to guys about different experiences and what goes into it. But I'm really interested to get an opportunity to talk to a number of people who are going to provide some pretty interesting stuff on what to expect on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we already mentioned one of our guests, Bob Golig. And, you know, this weekend we're looking at a great matchup here with that Rams pass rush versus this kind of porous Bengals offensive line. And, you know, Bob being a former Pro Bowl defensive lineman himself, I'd be interested to hear what he has to say, give us some insight into kind of the play with the matchup there. You know, because it's one thing for us as fans to sit here and kind of analyze the game and talk about matchups. But when you get a former player who was in those trenches, and I don't care how long ago it was. I don't care if it was 30 years ago, five years ago, a couple weeks ago. You get a former NFL, I don't care what the position is, to hear their their insight into it in a, in a battle on the field. So it's going to be good stuff. Mike
0: Leegan does not care. He does not care when the person plays. He wants. I to get don't. The we input. can
1: get someone out here with leather helmets. I mean, I love it. I love NFL history. Part of the reason we're here, we've been joking all day. All
0: week,
1: we've been joking about how you know we're out here, and I kind of pride myself on being like one of the people here who can. I can sit here and I can look around and I see an old guy with white hair, and I'm, I'm confident that I can figure out who that is. So, but no, it's just it's going to be great to hear from these former players. It gets like Nick said some insight into the game because they just have an eye on things that we don't necessarily have.
2: Mike, that reminds me of a conversation we had in the Uber earlier today. Okay, and I ahead. said that as fans, and, you know, we, we get to speak behind the mics, but we're limited to a certain degree on what we can say.
1: This, you're, you're skewing my opinion here, oh, but go ahead, go ahead. But, but listen, the,
2: the, the gist of it still persists because... We don't know as much of these guys. We we don't know as much about the game or our experience. It doesn't stack up to a guy that actually played in the game, actually knows the negotiations of contracts. You know, like we just don't have that experience. And I apologize if I'm twisting your words. Well, this for this look,
1: we I wish we had. We don't have instant replay on the Uber ride. I mean, the one difference is we're talking basketball. I think football is much more in the X's and O's. Uh, so I I I find that. When it comes to insight into the game, an NFL player can provide a bit more than I mean an NBA. But that's, that's besides the point. And also, I think my general point is just because I am a fan, I don't feel like I can't have an opinion. I just think, regardless, mm-hmm. the former players have a better opinion. But go ahead. Go ahead. Have Mike, more Messina, insight. you want to weigh in here?
3: No, I, I agree. I think former players have a better opinion about because they're the ones who are playing the game. they play played the game. They just have the best knowledge about what's going on. I want to ask you guys something, though. We see players from Barry Sanders, Nick, you mentioned you saw Josh Allen before. Yep. Is there anyone that you've guys seen who you
1: would love to have on who, who you really want to talk to today? Well, I mean, I haven't seen him physically in the flesh, but Nick and I were going to pick up our credentials and there was a nice little tribute to the one and only Broadway Joe Namath. Now I, I oh, have no God. idea if Joe is here. I I mean maybe I he's hope probably he's not. not. But let I me tell not. you let me tell you right now, I don't care who we're interviewing, with all due respect to our other guests or whatever we're doing on this show. If I see Broadway Joe walking around this place, he I am. It shouldn't putting, even be a Hall of Famer. I am I okay, we're not even getting into that. That's just <laughs> absurd. Uh I'm putting down this headset and I'm I'm going to go talk to him. But that's 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 who I like to interview. I don't even know if he's here, but uh you know, we'll I, see what happens.
0: I hope not, because yeah, well, that would be that'd be something. It'd be a good interview. We'd have to have him on. I just man, oh man, some of these Jets fans I, I what are, gonna gonna do,
2: what are you going to do, What
0: are you going to do? No, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. I just, you know, the guy completed like 40% of
1: okay. his passes uh, in the Super Bowl. But unlike Jim Kelly, he has a Super Bowl ring. Okay. So, I All mean, right. that, is, well, that is the thing. That's
0: fine. So, you know. Okay. All right. Look, yeah. I'm not... I'm not, well, I don't want to, to take it. shots I mean, at Jim Kelly. Okay. I
1: mean, he's a great quarterback, but you're taking shots at my guy, Joe, who is not statistically a top-ten quarterback. He's not. He's in the Hall of Fame for mostly stuff he did off the field. But, look, his numbers for his era are very good. But we're not, we're not here to debate we start the crew, talking Geno- about Joe Geno- Namath. I is, don't know.
0: This is not good. but like, l- l- i
3: got to be honest. Go l- l- ahead. When you were giving your little spiel before, saying you heard something in the hallway, I thought you were going to bring up Mike Francesa that you heard he might be coming. And oh that, well, if Fran- uh, that's, well, that's where I thought you were going. As with we're this.
1: sitting right here, <laughs> I, I got a clear view on uh, the great Mad Dog Chris Russo. Now, obviously, you can't think about the Mad Dog without thinking about Francesa. Now, I don't think Mike is here. If Mike is the other person, that if he was here, I would jump a table and go try to talk to him. That, that is a little different, <laughs> and I don't care what anyone says that would make a great interview. So would you he mind?
0: just gets done talking about, you know, trashing Jim Kelly, and he's already ready to jump through a table.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah. Would you be yourself in with the Mike? Frances oh, would I do the impression? Or would you do your Mike oh, no.
1: impression? God, I, I got to give deference to number one. I mean, I can't, I can't be we're doing the impression right now. We're going to have to, right we're
0: going to have to face. get that out of Mike at
1: some point throughout this oh, week. Oh, we have really three days of shows. East. We're, we're going to be, impression. we're going to be delirious here at some point. It's going to leak out eventually.
2: Hey, I mean, they say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. It is.
1: Yeah. It is. Look, I mean, Mike is, uh, I, I don't know if I'd be as interested in doing this or want to be here if it wasn't for Mike, all jokes aside. so, But I, I want to know from you guys' standpoint right now, we mentioned, you know, who do we want to talk to, who do we want to see here. I mean, my thing is, like, we're looking at this game this weekend, Bengals-Rams. What is one, and, you know, obviously, unfortunately, we're not going to be at the game, but what is one matchup you're really looking forward to in this game? I mean, I guess we can start with Nick. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm, I appreciate you getting us back on the rails here. Got I know. We gotta go off track. I would say it, it really, to me, is going to come down to the Bengals' offensive lines' ability to block some of the premier pass rushers that the Rams have, and that to me is going to be crucial for them to have success. Because you know, with the route that Cincinnati took, it, it was—it's interesting, and it's not one that happens a ton with. A team that doesn't have an excellent offensive line being able to withstand getting beat at the line of scrimmage. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to hold up. I don't think Tennessee and Kansas City provided the same type of challenge that Los Angeles is going to on Sunday. So that, to me, is the most fascinating aspect matchup of this game that I'm looking forward to because that, that to me, decides the game. You know, Up front, I, I feel like Cincinnati's pass rush could make some hay in in that area, but is Cincinnati's offensive line good enough to protect Joe Burrow to give him the opportunity to get the ball to Jamar Chase to protect Joe Mixon in the running game? That's that's what I think
2: this game is going to come down to. Well, you mentioned my pick because I am very excited to see Jamar Chase, and I'm assuming Jalen Ramsey is yeah. going to yep. be the guy guarding him because Jamar Chase. I mean, he's the most exciting rookie in the league and soon I think he's going to be one of the most exciting receivers in the league, right? But Jalen Ramsey has this history of I mean, he's vocal, you know and you know, playing for LA, being one of the best cornerbacks in the league I mean, he's earned the right to do that so, you know, seeing these two guys seeing a guy that's a little bit more proven versus this young rising star I mean, two of the best players at their position in the game, I'm very excited to see that matchup and not just the physical aspect of it, but you know, potentially some trash talk in game. I think that could be a future highlight. Also, shout out Jamar Chase for taking my question <laughs> and uh, putting me on the NFL. They just so wanted to go to, go. to go to Jamar Chase right there. Okay, Six point five rated gritty. To seven. To oh, seven. Oh, to seven. He seven. Said, Excuse, he me. Said Excuse me. He said pretty good.
0: Way too high, too. That that Mac Jones was gritty wasn't that good. But did you see pregame? Agree. I agree with that. Yeah, I don't. I don't.
2: Pregame, did sick. you see the Mahomes? Uh, audio clip. No, or... I didn't watch five seconds of the Pro Bowl, so. Well, I mean, it was
3: well, pretty Because that's another, that's something else that needs to get talked well, about. we, we have Bowl plenty of time to talk about that. Yeah, I mean,
1: the, in terms of the Pro Bowl, I mean, first of all, I want to get back to this Rams. I, I have a thought on the Pro Bowl in just a second, but in terms of the Rams matchup here, Rams-Bengals, Nick, you kind of stole everyone's thunder, I think, but it's, ob- it's the obvious matchup right there. Jack, I think you had a good point, too. My matchup, I mean, maybe it's not the biggest matchup. It's not really what people are talking about. But, look, we are a New York station. We have, we have a New York focus. So how can you not be thinking about going into this game, former New York Giant, Odell Beckham Jr. going up against former New York Giant, Eli Apple at corner. Now, look, they're not going to be lined up against each other all game. But it's inevitable. It's probably going to happen. And Eli Apple, uh, I think he got he's, he's gotten burned for most of his career, whether it's was with the Saints, whether it was with the Bengals.
3: Especially the last couple games, yeah, The last though. couple
1: games, too. Yeah. And Odell, look. Odell, look, I was never the biggest OBJ guy. The simple fact of the matter is he got a lot of hate on him for things that happened with the Giants, things that happened with the Browns. He's been in L.A. now. He's performed at a top level. He's going to get a big contract this offseason. So I'm just going to be interested to see from a local kind of perspective, but even just a game's perspective. I think it's a huge talent mismatch. Now, I don't know how much Eli Apple's going to be covering OBJ, but just something that I couldn't help but think about going into this game.
0: And how about how well Odell Beckham Jr. has transitioned to becoming a Los Angeles Ram because he was kind of left for dead in Cleveland. There was a lot of question about, is this guy still a top flight receiver that we saw at the front end in New York and tailed off with Eli Manning toward the end of his career? Certainly didn't work out with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. And he has really just re-energized his career under Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford throwing him the football he is somebody who is a major X factor, as, as Mike pointed out, and whether it's on Eli Apple or whomever else is going to try and cover him from a, a Cincinnati secondary, he's a guy that they're going to have to pay attention to and has been a major weapon for Sean McVay in that offense.
1: I totally agree, and I mean, I think what also is great about Odell, I mean, I think one of the biggest knocks about him was, whether it was in Cleveland or in New York, there was always this perception, warranted or not, especially you think about that infamous Panthers game where he's on the sidelines going crazy, it was always... People thought that Odell was a me guy, not a team guy. Very much about himself. He wanted the ball. He wanted the targets. Obviously, there was the stuff with his father and Baker Mayfield, and and that just kind of lent more credence to that theory. But he's coming out of L.A., and I don't want to say he's, you know, a number two wide receiver because he's not. He still has the talent of a number one. But, look, Cooper Cup was the guy there already. I mean, they had Robert Woods, who, of course, is out for the season with injury. But, you know, I, I have to commend Odell because I don't know if he's necessarily settled into a true number two role. That being said, I think he's, uh, there haven't been any issues, and to me, he seems to be more than content, because Cooper Cup's gonna get his fair share of targets. And I, I gotta give props to Odell to, to be able to, you know, play within the system and not be that guy who's demanding the ball all the time and is, you know, just willing to do whatever it takes to, to help the team win. I
3: think yeah. that's when Odell struggles the most, is when yeah. he needs to be that number one guy, and he expects to get the ball every deep pass, every short pass. And now with Cooper Cup, that obviously takes that away from him, well, takes pressure off of him, and look, uh, with the Rams, five touchdowns, zero touchdowns with the Browns all season long. So you can kind of just tell that him being that number one option in Cleveland alongside Jarvis Landry didn't really help him out. He moves to L.A., and now Cooper Cup is the clear best wide receiver in the league, and Odell's there right behind him, and he can get those targets when
1: needed. I would say that's debatable. I don't he's know the about true the number one. true number one wide receiver uh, one in the league. I mean, I mean Stephon Diggs, Devontae uh, Adams. I mean, I'm not saying – Those are I, two guys that come to mind. I'm, I'm not Mike saying – I think really Cooper Cup is a step Tampa above Stephon Diggs by far. Uh, I, mean, he would say by I far. don't triple know crown about that. I mean, mean, I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not even a Stephon Diggs fan. I don't know if I can just say that. I mean, I think Cooper Cup is really, really good. Tyreek Hill
0: should be in that conversation Hill, too. DeAndre, DeAndre,
1: DeAndre Hopkins.
0: Hopkins won healthy, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's had off here this year. I don't know. I mean, I think another matchup also to think about in this game is, you know, we got Eric Weddle back there for the Rams. This guy yeah. just came out of retirement. He's an older guy. And, you know, the, the, not that he can't play. Obviously, look, he, he had. He, I, who forgot? Who forgets? He had that big hit on Mike Evans in the, uh, the divisional round. Seemed like it could have been a uh, potential penalty there. It was. Obviously, that whole mess. But the point is, he can still hit hard. He can still play. He can still run around. My question is, this guy was on his couch a few weeks ago. And now he's going up against a Bengals offense that relies heavily on the tight end. He's going to be asked to cover some guys. You already mentioned the idea that Jalen Ramsey is going to have his hands full with Jamar Chase. If you're Zach Taylor, you're, you're orchestrating this offense, are you going to be trying to, you know, the Rams as a defensive unit, they're probably going to be focused on shutting down T. Higgins, uh, Jamar Chase. You've got to rely on your tight ends in this game because I think there's a mismatch there potentially.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. How about the last time that a team that we perceived was rebuilding comes in and wins a Super Bowl? That's what's so fascinating to me about the Cincinnati Bengals because you feel like the Rams coming into this season and then throughout they trade a second and a third-round pick to acquire Von Miller. They sign Odell Beckham Jr. They trade away a couple of first-round picks to bring in Matthew Stafford after not having a ton of success with Jared Goff. They're pushing their chips to the middle of the table. Cincinnati was like, hey, we want to try and rebuild this thing. Joe Burrow's coming off an ACL injury. We feel like we've got some good offensive weapons, we know we're going to have to rebuild our offensive line and try and see what we can find there. Defensively up front, okay, we'll probably want to rebuild the secondary. And this is a team that expectations, even throughout the postseason, didn't feel like, okay, maybe they'll win a game. Okay, they won the home game. Wow, they they shocked Tennessee. But then no chance against Kansas City, and then all of a sudden they're sitting here in the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I would say this. Something that's really stood out to me about the Bengals, I remember, and forgive me, I don't remember the exact week, no, the Bengals played the Packers earlier in the season, and uh, they ended up losing the game in overtime. Uh, it went was it overtime or the fourth quarter? It was yeah. it was a late late defeat. The bottom line was, they, but they were going toe to toe with the Packers. This is before they come out to, like they were towards the top of the uh, the AFC North. I don't think anyone was buying them as a contender even for the playoffs at this point. But I remember I tweeted out, and obviously as a Jet fan, I'm always thinking Jet focus. But you know, to me it was I thought the Bengals were on a good path. You had the rebuilding team, Joe Burrow coming off the the ACL injury, and. This is what you wanted to see in terms of progress. At that time, early in the season, I don't even think we were thinking Bengals playoffs, let alone a yeah. Bengals Super Bowl appearance, and um, you know to, to to see to see them. You know, I just the, the progress they've made is immaculate. So, so big props to them.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible the way that they've turned this thing around. Zach Taylor has been very complimentary of. The Bengals organization for allowing him the leeway after a couple of lean years in his first away from sean mcveigh and being able to turn this thing around and it was you know really interesting and never know who's going to stop by mike Ligon's going has got to pinch am, himself a little bit thrilled.
1: here uh well first of all we have nick mangle new york jets center joining us now nick i'm michael legan this is nick deluca we are WFUV 90.7 in new york Perfect. and anyone who knows me knows i am a diehard New York Jet fan, I bleed green and white. Some of my earliest childhood memories are watching you play, whether it's with Chad Pennington, Brett Favre, uh, you know, Mark Sanchez. Whatever doesn't matter. I am a huge fan, so I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining. No,
4: oh, thank you for having me.
1: So uh, I'm trying to think where I want to start. I mean, I guess this is where I, this is where I'd like to start right now. So I think we just came up on uh, it was ten, you know obviously with the Jets now it's ten plus years since they've last made the playoffs. We're still in a, rebuild, a rebuilding mode right now. Obviously, Robert Sala, and I know you're still involved in the organization. You do your cooking program, and you have the, the podcast with Mark Sanchez and all that. Um, you know, I'm just kind of curious, as you look at this team right now, we look at the season that just happened with the Jets, are you encouraged by the progress? Are you encouraged by the coaching staff with Robert Sala? Have you been encouraged by Zach Wilson? What, what was your takeaway from this this past season for the Jets?
4: Yeah, you know, I'm encouraged just seeing um, the the way that this team kind of came together together um, where it's not, guys are um, young. That's one of the biggest problems that they had, and, and technical. Difficulties? Sorry, Nick. Yeah,
1: we got. We, I don't know what's going on right here with the mics. We got some. we got to make sure. One second. Sorry about this. All right. Yeah, just take just take my cousin. Sorry about that, Nick. Appreciate it.
0: There we go. We got him.
1: All right, that should be good. We good now? Yeah, we should be. Okay.
4: There we go.
1: There we go. All right, thank you so much, Nick. I All right. appreciate you for rolling with us. Thank you very much. All right, so, as I was saying, progress with the Jets. What mm-hmm. do you
4: think? Yeah, first got to look at the very young team. Um, I think they had the most starts by a rookie um, by, like, 100 uh, with the amount of young guys that played. So that's going to factor into it. And I think when you look at Zach Wilson, um, you look at a guy who – Everyone said it was a little inaccurate um, for the season, which I would say I would concur. But I think it was more so, um, you know, trying to trying to do the right thing every time. And so that playbook. I mean, he only had what two and a half months with the playbook before the season starts, and it's not going to be the full playbook. He can't put the full thing in um, in that short amount of time. So this offseason is going to be huge for him, of where he's able to study. And everything I've heard about him is that he, you know, he's a football junkie. So like he loves watching film. He loves. Um, you know, studying, doing those things. So this offseason is going to be huge where right now he doesn't have to worry about practice. You know, he doesn't have to worry about um, getting in there and making sure he's going to meetings and everything. So he can take this time and really sit down and dissect this playbook um, and know it inside out so when they do give back for OTAs and everything, he's hitting the ground running.
0: Up and down rookie year for Zach Wilson, but he's in an AFC that has a ton of really young and good quarterbacks. Josh Allen in his own division, Patrick Mahomes is there, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, who's in the Super Bowl this year. To me, it feels like it's less about him going through the traditional growth and more about needing to ascend to a really spectacular level for the Jets to ultimately get to where they want to go as a contender
4: in the AFC. Do you feel like he's a guy who can get there? I feel like he is, and I think that that's the hard part of, of what he's dealing with because now he has all these comparisons to all these other young kids. Um, like, the fact that Joe Burrow has gone to Super Bowl in his second year, like, well, why can't everyone do that? Yeah. And are like, well, you know, I need to it with the Bengals. Like, if you can't do it, like, well, Joe Burrow did it. So yeah. I, I think that's going to be something that he's going to have to, you know, really try to put aside um, and not think about too much and just try to focus on, on improving himself and try to stay out of the comparing um, of, to the other just great quarterbacks that are crazy young that we have this big swell of guys coming in.
1: So, Nick, I mean, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the older glory, glory days, if you will, with the Jets, especially when you were there. I mean, when you look at the last 20 years, I mean, I think, frankly, your time with the Jets was probably the highlight for the franchise in that 20-year time span. So, for me, I, I kind of want to know. I mean, two of my favorite teams of all time are those two teams that went to the AFC Championship game back-to-back in 09 and 10. Um, you know, obviously, when we think about those teams, we think about you, we think about Mark, we think about Rivas, Cromartie. Who is a guy who was part of those playoff teams that doesn't get enough appreciation from the Jet fan, from the NFL fan, who's kind of slept on? It was a big contributor.
4: Um, I think the biggest one would be Dave Harris. Uh, you know, he was a fantastic linebacker for us, um, played at a high level for very long, and really saw no recognition for it. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like, he he was, you know, the bedrock of that defense. And everyone's like, oh, did he even play for us? Like, it's, it's crazy.
0: <laughs> Curious for you in previewing this Super Bowl matchup, the Rams have one of the best to ever do it up front on the defensive line, and Aaron Donald, you as a former center, how would you like trying to go about blocking that guy?
4: Um, it would be very difficult. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think this is where, you know, teams – this is the big storyline of the week so far, so um, it's going to get dissected, you know, eight ways a Sunday. Um, But I think the big thing, you know, is when you go to it and you say, well, you have to double Aaron Donald. It leaves three individual blocks across the line, um, and that's not going to work for a whole game. So, um, you know, people are always like, well, how do you change it up? How do you switch to to handle this? And I think the biggest thing that the Bengals are going to have to do is stick with what they do. Um, If they try to change it up too much, I think it's going to end up bad. Um, And so if they stick with what they did, it got them to a Super Bowl. It has to work somewhat. Um, everyone's all caught up with the Tennessee game. And like, oh, they gave up nine sacks. There's no way, you know, they're going to get past the Rams. Um, I, I think that was kind of a kick in the butt for the Bengals, and you know, obviously they came back, um, did well against the the Chiefs. So it's going to be it's going to be a fun Super Bowl. I think that's the biggest thing that's going to be taken out of it, because I think this is going to be one of those um, light it up, really get after it Super Bowls.
2: Nick, you had plenty of exposure to Tom Brady, finally on his way out, retiring. Was there a moment against him in your playing career that kind of stands out or just a, a matchup between the Patriots and
4: your career that, that really you remember? Um, I mean, obviously the Super Bowl win, um, or not the Super Bowl win, the playoff win. Uh, we're at the Super Bowl. Um, the, the playoff win after you know being um, counted out and we took that beating uh, in Thanksgiving um, to come back and win there uh, was a fantastic feeling.
1: Nick, I'm just curious also. I mean, I mentioned off the top when you sat down with us some of the quarterbacks that you played with with the Jets. You know, Chad, Brett Favre, obviously you and Mark had a great connection, still do. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, also with that great 2015 season. I'm just curious, you know, how, and, you know, in your career, you were consistent, but you always had this change of quarterback. And obviously, Gino as well, all that kind of stuff. How tough was it for you at Year, every few years or so, every other year, to have to change quarterbacks like that? How did that affect your play? And then on a side note, which quarterback did you really enjoy playing with the most?
4: Um, I don't think it really affected me as much as um, maybe, like, receivers and yeah. everything. Because yeah. Um, I, I always joke I can snap the ball to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it was just – it was a little difficult because, you know, you see good teams and you see them they have the same quarterback for 15 years. Like, well, I got a new one, you know, two years later. Like, we're just doing this rotation thing. So that kind of stuck. Um, and – I I don't know if I have a favorite, per se. Like, it was really cool playing with Brett Favre. Yeah. Um, I grew up watching him, so to be able to play with him was really awesome. Chad was such a great influence when I first got in the league. Uh, Mark was just a wild child. <laughs> um, and so I had a lot of fun with him, and, you know, we have still a great friendship. And Fitz was fantastic. Like, he came in, uh, it was the first time I had a quarterback that was my age that would get my <laughs> references. Um, So I thought that was pretty cool. So uh, I had good experiences with all of them. Um, So I can't say one's a favorite, but, I mean, I do do a podcast with Mark, so kind of assume we might have to be the the de facto favorite. Well, Nick Mangold got to keep himself out of trouble.
0: We'll get you out of here on this one. Really appreciate you taking some time with us here. Just curious for you, you mentioned all those switch-ups and how it affects receivers and, and the offensive continuity in your estimation how impressive is it for a team for both of these teams really for the Rams to have Matthew Stafford come in in year 1 and have all of these new pieces surrounding him entirely new offense after spending so much time in Detroit Joe Burrow coming in off an of injury a new number 1 wide receiver all that different combinations up front you know in the offensive line how impressive in your estimation is it for these two teams to be here
4: I think it's very impressive. You know, you look at uh, the way that the Rams got here, and we can say that they bought their way to the Super Bowl, you know, just grabbing anybody and everybody that can help them. Um, And the Bengals seem to be doing it, you know, with the draft and and trying to build up from the the ground. So it's neat to see those two things happen. Um, You know, it's going to be a huge disappointment for the Rams if they don't get the victory um, because, you know, they they put all in for this this year. So uh, where the Bengals, I think they can now have sustained success. Um, you know they can rebuild the de- rebuild the offensive line. Um, you know, get help on the defense. So uh, I, I'm excited for I think Cincinnati more so than I am the Rams. Nick, Nick appreciate the time. Nick,
1: I, I would be remiss before we let you go. You got some barbecue sauce, if I'm not mistaken, right here. Can we yep. get a little plug for that? What's yeah, going on it's over there?
4: Mangled Seven Four Barbecue Sauce. Uh, it, it's my own sauce. I've been making it in my uh, kitchen for about eight years now. Um, you can find it. Uh, locally on Long Island um, and uh, you go to mangled74bbq.com you can find out where we are everywhere but you can also get it online, maxwarehouse.com they have a great subscription service you can get it in regular intervals Um, and it's been a lot of fun and it's a neat uh, project for post-playing career.
1: Well Nick, I said it off the top, it's just an absolute thrill and a pleasure to speak to you as a lifelong Jet fan so thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it no problem, thank you guys, have
4: a good one thank you
0: almost missed the barbecue sauce there. Oh hey, you
1: got to get the barbecue Jumped sauce the in there. Got to get the
0: barbecue
5: sauce. <laughs> you guys only no, got awesome. larges. We don't really have a lot of larges <laughs> for the big men, but appreciate you can figure that out. We got a one large Bugs. and a few XLs. Thank than you
1: very much. We really appreciate it. it. Thank you, Nick. <laughs>
5: um anyway, I gave him my card if yep. I can get if I can get this former
1: Jets.
0: Way, that'd be yeah, yeah, I Nick can see that pictures. I got it all. On WFUV Sports. Mike, yeah. I, I imagine that was thrilled. pretty cool for you. That there. was yeah.
1: pretty great for me, again. I mean, as a, as a lifelong Jet fan, especially with so so bad in my more adult years, to have a guy who as a kid you just love to watch play, and I mentioned to Nick those those two teams that went to the AFC Championship game, those teams meant so much to me uh, to, to meet Nick and to, to have that kind of guy come to speak with us. And we got some T-shirts here, too, which I will be wearing. So Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, thrilled.
0: So there you go. Uh,
1: so, I mean, as we're sitting here, we got, as you, I hope you bear with us, folks, as we're kind of sorting out some chaos over here with guests. I mean, this is the great thing about Radio Row. There's just guests everywhere. You never everywhere. know who's going to pop you in. never know going to pop thing. in. We didn't see this happening, and we have another guest joining us right now. How are we doing, guys? Doug Freeman, Doug Freeman. how's it going? to Arena Football Association, yes, thank you very much for joining us. actually a
0: New Yorker. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. <laughs> How are we doing today? We're good. Very good. How are you doing?
6: Hey, man. In the candy store. Shouldn't that effect.
0: <laughs> um, Doug don't Free, do it the, the, the co-founder of the arena football association yeah. so you mentioned you're a kid in the candy store yes you're uh, you're having some fun this week how much fun is it for you to be out here it's extraordinary uh, this is
6: my first super bowl week
1: it's ours too so and
6: it's a great lead up i mean yeah. you know, we, we've heard about all the great things that happen um i had an opportunity to be at a conference and i was uh one of the keynote speakers and chris carter hall of famer was interviewing me now <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but it happened, and it was an amazing experience. Uh, Bobby Wagner was another person who participated, and, you know, all of these greats of the NFL. Uh, Ray Lewis was there. So that was the beginning of my week. And then I actually have to admit something. I did have a New Yorker in L.A. moment. So a New Yorker, when you go to places, you hear, oh, stars are hanging out. What's a skeptical New Yorker? Some C-grade actor. (laughs) So we went to the spot in Santa Monica after a conference reception. And we we walk in, like, you know, any tight establishment. And there to the right, I said, there's a guy named Toby, and he's across from a guy named Leonardo. And I go, oh. (laughs) Maybe I should
1: shut my mouth up. So, <laughs> Tobey Maguire and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. So that that
6: was my first night here. There you go.
1: Spider <laughs> Man and the biggest movie star that's ever lived. Okay, that's that's that pretty great. Good start.
6: That's a good start to Super Bowl League.
1: So, Doug, you know, yes. I, in reading about the you know, Arena Football Association, yes. I think one thing that you guys really emphasize is how much you're committed to diversity yes. and really being an inclusive league. Yes. And obviously, one of the big storylines this week and. Throughout the NFL, throughout sports, is the the Brian Flores lawsuit. And, you know, I think we can all agree it's something that's necessary for change. Sure. And it's, we all hope that it brings the change that we need as so much as a league, as a society. Right. So I was just wondering if you had some thoughts on the lawsuit or you had any thoughts about what's going on with the league right now in that respect.
6: So, look, we're, you know, we're all at a time where there have been a lot of changes. Uh, I call it with the pandemic, we were in a trisis. Mm -hmm. Right. We had the pandemic, we had tough economic times, we had the George Floyd situation, and that. Led to a lot of reflection for the country, but you know, um, organizations can only change as fast as they can. And I know it. I'm not an apologist by any stretch for the NFL. There is a long road of change that needs to happen, uh, but it's not going to happen overnight. So yeah. I think expectations is something to consider. The other piece is you don't have to make change just at the NFL, and that's one of the reasons yeah. the AFA was built. We felt that uh, there was an opportunity. Yeah. For different type of people, you know, young folks, we, we potentially think we'll have one of the youngest owners in pro football in the next year or two. And I, I'm talking a 20 something owner of a team, which will be extraordinary, right? It's veterans, it's persons with disabilities who didn't dream but thought, ah, it's impossible. Well, we're trying to make the impossible possible. So that's our diversity, equity, inclusion is really inclusion for all, giving dreams reality. And what we found in these mid-sized markets, hey, look, we can have teams in 100 places, not 30. So we believe we represent, we want to be what they call a big six sports league. We want to be right there with MLS in the next two years, recognized as one of the big six leagues. But we also want to know that there will be different types of people from different backgrounds that will be running these things. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Some of the things will be a little more innovative. But that's a long way of saying you don't have to just change at the NFL. We want to change the sports industry.
0: Yeah. Talking with Doug Freeman, co-founder of the Arena Football Association. Doug, for our audience, people who might be interested in coming out to a game, what would you expect that experience to be like?
6: Now, currently our teams are in uh, southern United States, five teams in Texas, We have just announced two more teams, one in Jackson, Mississippi, one in uh, Wichita, Kansas. We hope to announce something big for New York City. So maybe you'll be the folks that we announce it with. (laughs) There you go. Oh, okay. All right.
1: Yeah. We'll hold you to that. It will be the next
6: couple months. But we're going to have something big in New York City to launch our next year. And we also hope by 2024 to have New York and Northeastern area teams. Currently, fans can look on Flow Sports. So uh, Flow Sports is one of the hardcore uh, subscription services, about 10 million subscribers. All of our games can be seen there. Going into 2023, we have our media rights up. So you'll likely see us on you know, more attainable networks, whether it's an ESPN, Fox Sports, CBS. You'll see us much more prevalent in 2023 season.
1: Doug, I just kind of had a question. I think we've seen recently, whether it's the AAF, the XFL, the bringing back of the USFL, there is a desire, I think, for more football. I think, you know, as an NFL fan myself, it seems that now we have 17 games, but it's 17-game season. If your team makes the playoffs, great, and then it's over. We're already at the Super Bowl, and it feels like the season just started, and now we're done again. Could you speak to kind of the desire, the hunger from the average American sports consumer to have more football, a desire for spring football, and what you're going to bring that separates you from the NFL and at the same time keeps it familiar enough so that people are still interested?
6: Yeah, it's a great question. Look, uh, you know, from research, about 35%, 40% of of football fans are fanatics, which basically means they want year-round football. So the demand is there. That's 40, 50 million people with that hunger. The challenge that has occurred, as we know, the AF and the XFL, it's the game off the field. So our motto is the business model wins the games because we can't ask fans to support us and we can't even get through a full season. So one of the things that we're proud to say as a league is we're an expansion league. We completed our first year in the heart of a pandemic with five teams in Texas last June and July. And we did it successfully. Now we're in expansion mode, and that builds trust with fans. That means that the teams will be around. We don't <laughs> want to talk about the yeah. USFL or someone else. And a year later, they're not there. Yeah. That breaks that fan trust. So for us, so you know, we are lucky. We come from large corporations, consulting firms. We're New York corporate guys. We know business cold. So the first thing we had to get right is the business model, and we aced that test. The second thing you got to get right is scale. Right, We can't just be in seven towns in Texas. Nobody will take us seriously. So our goal by 2030 is to be in 100 major cities, major wow. and mid-sized cities. And it's a very similar model to something called the NCAA football. <laughs> there are 120 teams in 10 conferences. We'll wow. have 110, or 100 or so in eight. So now you've got the scale that a fan is looking for. You can go to your local town. And then the next piece is we're going to be global. So we'll have an additional 400 teams globally by 2050. And that's a trust model. People go, even if they're crazy, at least they're going to try to make it attainable to all fans.
0: Yep. Talking with Doug Freeman, the co-founder of the Arena Football Association. We appreciate you taking some time. Want to wrap up on, sure. on this one. You mentioned how much of a great experience that it was for you to be out here on Radio Row. Who you got on Sunday? Yes. So who do I got who Sunday? do you got on Oh, Sundays. you
6: think. <laughs> no, I, I, I've said this a couple times. There are two paths that I see. Path one is, I think, the more unexpected, a blowout game. And I see the Rams putting up a lot of numbers, score in the range of 42-20, 42-21. That's one route. The other route, it's just tight. Those big defenses really take over. The horses can't get through the gates. And you're talking a tight game twenty to seventeen for the Rams. The Rams in either case, but I think those are the based on what I see in the configuration of the teams, those look to me the two kind of outcomes you're gonna get.
0: Doug, appreciate your time.
6: This is an honor. We look forward to another big announcement with you.
0: Absolutely. Oh, yes. All right. All right. Honor for us, awesome thank you very gosh. much. That would be awesome. Doug Freeman, the co founder so of the Arena Football Association. Appreciate him coming on and talking some arena football, Super Bowl here on one-on-one as we roll on here from Radio Row in Los Angeles in the convention center. Marcus McNeil, the former Chargers Pro Bowl left tackle, is going to be up next for us, and already a great perspective from a couple of guests. Uh,
1: I, I'm thrilled with how we've gotten the show started. We had a bit of a conversation amongst the four of us, and then to get you know, it, we started off our morning, just to give you a little behind the, the curtain here. We started off our morning thinking we we're going to get certain guests, and then boom, to get Nick Mangle at the bat. And then we had a great interview with Doug. And now we are walk, welcoming in Marcus McNeil, the former left tackle for the San Diego Chargers. Marcus, how is it going? It's going great,
7: man. It's going great. I can't complain. I can't complain at all. How's it going with you guys?
1: It's going great. We're thrilled to be here at the Super Bowl, as I'm sure you are too. And you know what? One of the first things that I want to ask you is this. Look, you played your whole career with the San Diego Chargers, and obviously within the last few years the team has now re- relocated right here to L.A. Uh, and obviously playing with the Chargers like you did, you got to know the fans there in San Diego, passionate fan base. You know, What do you think about the fact that the Chargers you know, relocated here to L.A.? Would you wish that they had stayed in San Diego? And what, how, how do you feel for those Charger fans still in San Diego that couldn't, you know, kind of lost their team?
7: Yes, yes, because I'm a part of those Charger fans that lost their team down there. Uh, it was tough, you know. It, it was tough whenever they left. Uh, I think that, you know, they left a big hole in the city that you really just can't can't really fix. There's no mending it. But at the same time, I, I didn't go anywhere else. I didn't, I didn't play for anybody else. So regardless of, like, if the Chargers go to London, you know, I'm going to be a Bolt fan. I'm going to be part of Bolt gang, and I'm always going to be there. So, even though I wish they were a little bit closer to home, yeah. like, I'm still rocking with
0: them. All right, cool. Well, hopefully not off to London anytime soon. Yeah. That would be, be preferable. Yeah. Curious for you, as a former left tackle, what it would be like preparing for a matchup like this, you know, uh, with Von Miller on the edge or Trey Hendrickson, those oh, types yeah. of guys – who are really coming after quarterbacks as you preview this one. What, what's the mentality for you when you know that you're facing a big-time customer on the other side of the line of scrimmage?
7: To be honest, that that actually got my blood flowing. You know, like, I, if you wanted to see me have a bad game, put me against somebody I didn't know, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm like, who is this guy He came from where? Uh, okay, all right. You know what I'm saying? I might be sleepwalking through half of the game compared to, like, if I got Von Miller coming off the edge, like, I know when I wake up that morning, like, all right, I got to block somebody. So <laughs> it's, it's just a totally different mindset. But I think the ones who, like, thrive are the ones who actually take advantage of, like, those situations. Like, where they actually thrive on moments where it's like, oh, this is a big game. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's time for me to put on a show. Like, that's the mindset you have to have. Like, if you're coming to the show, like, in the big dance, like, this is the time for you to show up. It's not time to, like get all tight, you know what I'm saying, and and, and anxious about something, like it's the time to let it go and
2: let it fly, you know what I'm saying, and let the chips fall where they may. Sticking with the matchup on Sunday, you've got a guy, Jamar Chase, who just had such an impact in his rookie season. You were a starter for your entire rookie season, came off, made an immediate impact. Do you have a different approach as a rookie going into this game where other guys have been there before, played longer, more experience, or is it just – game starts and go. It's it's game starts and go. I think
7: that's probably the best thing that they have going for themselves is the fact that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have actually come from a big-time school. In the SEC, they played in front of hundreds of thousands. They played on national championship games. And so I don't think the arena is going to be that big of a deal for them to to, to get comfortable with because they're used to being in atmospheres like that. But them being young and hungry and not scared and knowing that they belong on the field, that's what got me to my first Pro Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Like, my rookie year, because, like, when I stepped on the field, I had guys like Sean Merriman uh, that lined up against every day at practice. I used to drool in my mouth, like, oh, I'm about to go get him today. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you transition that to the football game, and now it's, like, ten times easier because I'm blocking one of the best, you know, uh, 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 defensive rushers in the game. So, like, kudos to Jamar Chase. And the funny story is I actually talked to Jamar Chase whenever he actually – I, I talked to Jamar Chase whenever he got drafted. Uh, he's actually a cousin of one of my best friends I grew up with. They were all at draft day, you know, so he put him on the phone. I talked to I'm not taking any credit for Jamar Chase this <laughs> season. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me start there. I'm not taking any credit for a season. But I got a chance to talk to him. And even when you talk to him, You just heard how calm he was and, like, just ready for the moment. You know what I'm saying? So I just told him to go get it. You know what I'm saying? So to see him actually thrive this year, I was probably his biggest fan, literally.
0: Literally his biggest fan. talking with Marcus McNeil, former Chargers Pro Bowl left tackle. I got to hit on this first before I get to my next question. When Merriman went up against you in practice, if he beat you, would he do a sack dance? No. He didn't beat me in practice. Okay, uh, I didn't want to yeah, assume yeah, it. I just no, wanted to.
7: No, act. no, no, no. I used to joke sometimes. Now nah, he was a great. He was a great player. We had great battles in practice and stuff like that. But like we used to get after it, you know. And I used to talk, like even when I was young, I would come out there and like could, could nobody block him? We got all these sacks. So I get him in practice. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. You know what, <laughs> what I'm saying? So I used to, I used to tell the coach, the defensive coordinator, "Hey, I'm gonna write a book, and it's gonna be a bestseller amongst the AFC. How to block Sean Merriman." I'm gonna write the book and everybody gonna want it because don't nobody know how to block them but me. So we, we used to have fun at practice, man. We used to have a good time.
0: Well, I'm glad you won your your share of battles and and certainly being uh, the player that you were and the caliber of player that you were. I'm sure that you won a fair share of them. I know you're still a member of Chargers Nation here. You're paying attention to the team. They got a pretty darn good quarterback in Justin Herbert. How impressed were you with his season?
7: Ah, I'm very impressed. You know, uh, I saw Justin first they played they came to Auburn that's a school I went to uh, in college and I got a chance to see them play at Auburn and he came down there then and man he just has those types of arm where he can get the ball anywhere on the field and nobody really realizes like how rare that is you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. to be able to throw the ball cross field which is pretty much 50 yards if you from one sideline to another like on a rope you know so for me to see him have the abilities in his arm The only thing that I was wishing for was, like, that he had a line that he could trust in. So when they went and picked up Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, I'm talking about he was a godsend. You know what I'm saying? Because he put them immediately into a playoff contending team, you know. So now, whereas we were still trying to address the offensive line, we, we have an offensive line that's getting better. And we have a quarterback that is like a franchise quarterback. The, the the older era, the Drew Brees is, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady says he's retired. I, I, I put the air quotes <laughs> up, but now you got you know the Justin Burrows. You, you I mean I mean uh, <laughs> Joe Burrows, and then you have Justin Herbert. You know what I'm saying you have Lamar Jackson. Like you just have this new era of quarterbacks coming up. That's just exciting for the NFL.
1: You know, Mark, as you mentioned Philip Rivers briefly right there. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Philip. Just retired, obviously a year ago. You play with him. There's going to be a lot of debate over these next few years. Is he a Hall of Famer? Or does he deserve to get in? He, of course, never got to that Super Bowl. Uh, but there's obviously a debate. Was he the most talented of those quarterbacks with the Roethlisberger and Eli? What was it like playing with Philip? And you know, what do you think about the potential Hall of Fame candidacy for him?
7: I think it should be a no-brainer Hall of Fame career. You know, if you pay attention to his stats and stuff, the numbers don't lie. You know, he's always a top-five quarterback throughout the league. You know, and he played that way consistently throughout his career. So minus, like, Super Bowl victories or making it to the Super Bowl, like, he shouldn't have really any knocks against mm-hmm. him, you know. And uh, as far as Eli and Ben Roethlisberger, if I had to pick all three uh, between them, I'm taking PR every time. Yeah.
2: I just want to hear about your relationship with LT and, you know, being such a crucial component to the offensive line and, you know, his historic season.
7: Man, I, I love LT, and I love the run block. So when I got there, it was like just a match made in heaven, right? It's like, hey, <laughs> I, I would be sitting there because, like, he was like, man, boy, you fast. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, hey, just stay on my outside shoulder. I promise you, I'm just running this straight line. And if you stay in this pocket, ain't nobody going to touch you. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we used to, like, game plan, like, even before play, even if we had a play set, we would plan on, like, which way he's going to go before I even take off. So that way it was no second guessing, like everything's full speed. You know what I'm saying? And we've seen LT run. When he comes out of the backfield, it's like he's being shot out of a rocket. You know what I'm saying? So just to be able to play with that caliber of guy to to set the, you know, NFL rushing record, touchdown record, like it was just amazing, man. I, I was blessed with my time in the NFL, and I love it. And I'm just excited to see the young guys
0: do it today. A lot of awesome young players in the NFL. Uh Marcus McNeil, the former Chargers Pro Bowl left tackle, appreciate you taking some time. You promoting anything
7: oh, here, here with yeah. the uh, radio yeah. row? Yeah, you know what? I what do actually, you got going on? I got a couple podcasts. Well, in between doing daddy daycare, because that's oh, what yeah. I do 90% <laughs> of the time, right? But I actually I actually got a couple podcasts. Uh, one is called Knee High to the Tree High with me and my best friend from uh, all the way from elementary school, played middle school, high school, college, all the way to the pros together. So now we just talk about life, football, you know, and the transition from high school, college, to the pros, right? And then uh, I got another show called Two Pros and a Joe with Greg Camarillo, uh, uh, wide receiver, great from the Chargers, and we just talk straight NFL, man. So that, that's my outlet, you know what I'm saying? That's my time to, like, kind of release throughout the week, you know what I mean? So I just love talking sports, man. So that that's what I'm doing now, and in between then I'm I'm flipping flapjacks.
0: <laughs> he's flipping flapjacks. He's talking <laughs> sports. And before we let you go, who do you got on Sunday?
7: Man, you know what? It's tough to call. I'm going to put it like this. I I can't call who's going to win because I don't know, right? But, like, the eye test is telling me the Rams should win. But I absolutely want the Bengals to win. And that's just how I feel about this game. You know what (laughs) I'm saying? Like, the Rams on paper look like they're supposed to win the Super Bowl. They're at home. They got an all-star team. Like, Go ahead and get it right. But the Bengals is just something about this young team swagger that is just undeniable. So I'm I'm on their side.
0: Marcus, we appreciate you taking some time. Former Chargers Pro Bowl left tackle. Great getting a chance to chat with you.
7: Thank you, Marcus. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Have it going.
0: Yep. That was Marcus McNeil, former Chargers Pro Bowl left tackle. Really appreciate him coming on. I had some great guests. He he was awesome. I, I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk with Marcus and and all of our guests, you know, Doug was great and getting Nick Mangold on. And as radio row rolls on here from the Los Angeles convention center, ahead of the Super Bowl on Sunday, the Rams and the Bengals, these guys, I'm I'm always interested to get their perspectives on, on any number of things. And Marcus in particular, a guy who certainly knows this area, knowing the chargers organization, the Rams moving back out here as well. And and such great insight from him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he had some, I mean, you said it already. I think all three of our guests so far have had great insights into a variety of topics. Um, you know, one thing that we didn't get to ask Marcus, and unfortunately it's the nature of the beast, we can't have these guys on all show, he's a pro bowler. Obviously, Nick Mangold was a pro bowler. Guys have played in the pro bowl game, obviously, as the name yeah. entails. And, you know, I'm just kind of curious if we can get into this now. We even mentioned it a little bit off the top. Uh, this past weekend we had the pro bowl, and it was, you know, in Las Vegas, big spectacle. That's great and all. Uh, but frankly it was two hand touch football out there the guys weren't really trying and for years now there's been this debate of is the pro bowl even worth it is it is it worth that the players themselves which you can understand these yeah. guys are playing on non guaranteed contracts millions of dollars at stake and the game means nothing are you really going to go out there risk potential injury and potentially your career and a payday and i think you know as we go on here the, the quality of the game is suffering because the players aren't you know going all out which you can understand so now i think it's kind of a question of nick What is the future of the Pro Bowl? Should there even be a Pro Bowl going forward?
0: Well, I think there always is going to be just because you're still getting six and a half to seven million people watching, and it's a profitable event. But at the same time, I don't think you're ever really going to convince players to do more than what they're doing right now. It's just not worth it. I mean, there's no reason that these guys for a game that means absolutely nothing whatsoever to go out and put anything on the line. And I think short of the NFL saying and maybe this wouldn't even do it, the winner of the Pro Bowl gets to host the Super Bowl or something like that, like Major League Baseball used to, used do. to do. I hate I, I, I don't know that that's the right answer. I think that might be the only way to even incentivize it. But but even then, do, do guys really care? Do they know that they're getting the Super Bowl? I mean, even in the major leagues, it's it's much easier to play that game because the risk of injury is certainly not as great, and you're going up and you're hitting and you're pitching and it's an individual game you don't want to get embarrassed regardless you can still have a somewhat quality game even if you're just going out and having fun you're always going to take it seriously there aren't levels really to playing baseball in the NFL it's so much different you know you're just yeah. risking the injury and and whether it's serious or not otherwise there's really just no reason to damage even your off season that way it just it doesn't make sense from a player's perspective and i don't want to say that this is something that's a lost case but i think it really is
1: yeah, I mean, look, first off, before I dive into the specifics of what you said, I can't help but remember, we've all seen it a million times, that infamous clip of Sean Taylor uh, laying the, the hammer down on, I don't remember. I don't remember Brian the, Mormon, Bills punter. Thank you. Yeah, uh, You would know that, of course, Buffalo Bills. And, you know, I think that's only like the, the one example, one, like, not being recent, as in that was in the last 20 years. I mean, the issue was, and you hear from older players, and I, you see it on Twitter, I don't remember even specifics, but older players, you know, who played in the 90s and the 80s, I think it was actually, no, you know what? It was Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders came out and said something in a tweet. He said something like, and I don't have the exact quote in front yeah, of me. Yeah, it
0: used to be an honor to yeah, it play to in the It used to be an honor to play
1: in the Pro Bowl. You know, I had to prove that I was prime time. I had to, like, show who I really was, which, you know, I think is a lot to respect, and I really get that. You know, I don't know. It's, it's such a tough situation. But then the alternative is, look, the NFL, obviously, at the end of the day, it's a business. They need to make money. The Pro Bowl, I don't watch it. I don't think you watch it. I don't think most, No, I didn't. I mean, I don't think most people. I, I mean, obviously, people are watching because they're making money off it. There are viewers, so there's a market there. The NFL, you know, they're not going to give up a chance to make money. The question is, like, is there something else they can put in its place that would draw, I don't know, equivalent ratings? I mean, it's just it, the Pro Bowl to me. I don't understand why people watch it. I mean, I get people do. Maybe people just put it on in the background. If you're a kid, maybe you like to watch it because you don't really get that they're not trying. But like. If you're a regular NFL fan above the age of, I don't know, 15, like are you really, like, find that game interesting? I don't I, know.
0: I don't know. I You know, I'd be interested to see if they would be more competitive if it was flag football.
1: Yeah, you know what? I was going to bring that up, too. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, that, to me, is interesting. They
1: do that thing now. Uh, well, obviously, they have the skills, quote-unquote, competition the day before. Uh, you know, where they play the 40-yard the dash, and they do all that kind of stuff. They recently instituted dodgeball as one of the, the contests or whatever. So, I mean... You're already letting the players play dodgeball. Why not just make it a full gym class and have them play flag football? But at the same day, you know, same same time, excuse me, I think one of the, the players' concern, obviously, look, you don't want to get concussed. You want to get a big hit or something. But, like, the true devastating injuries in football are those non-contact injuries, you know, the, making a quick cut on the grass and boom, there goes your Achilles, your ACL. I mean, flag football, yeah, you're not going to tackle anyone. And I'm not saying the injury risk is higher, but, you know, I, I just I don't know with these athletes it's just it's such a, a nuanced topic I guess I don't know it's really hard to figure out.
0: Yeah, uh, and and it's a tough situation that I don't know that it needs so much solving. I, I think the NFL is Fair in pretty good shape in that sense, and if they lose a little money on the Pro Bowl, I don't think it's going to make Roger Goodell and the owners lose too much sleep at night. They've got other stuff that certainly they need to worry about at the moment, but uh, you know I, I'm not so sure that the Pro Bowl not being the greatest of events. Is, is a huge deal because I, I don't know what they can really do to fix it. it there's just not a lot of incentive there. So it, it's yeah. a tough situation, but, you know, it, it is what it is at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and we can, I mean, let's be honest. The, the, talking about the Pro Bowl in its future isn't the most exciting topic, but it needs to be said. But something else that I kind of want to talk about you is that, you know, our colleagues have drifted off here, so it's just yeah. you and me hosting the show, which, I, you know, as long as I'm on the mic, that's fine by me. Uh you know, me being the diehard Jet fan, obviously we had Nick Mangold on. You know, you always dropping some Bills knowledge on us being a diehard Bills fan. Look, you know, we, we walked in here earlier today. I saw, I was fortunate. You know, the, first of all, who, who, obviously a lot of people have never been here, the average fan, listener. The place is just immaculate being here. It's a true, yeah. you know, dedication to the history of the game. It's, 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 it's honestly, there's parts of this place it's like a museum here at the L.A. Convention Center. Uh, but Some but of I,
0: the sets for the bigger time yeah. Radio shows and, are very and nice. For the networks are really good. But, but Pat uh, McAfee's got a pallet. He's, he's over right there over
1: left. here. He's screaming about every 20 minutes. So yeah. we, we hear him. But, you know, we, we, we see stuff. Uh, you know, obviously, the one good thing the Jets have is that Super Bowl three victory. There was a couple things dedicated to that. So I you know, should
0: have asked Nick Mangold if Joe <laughs> Name is a Hall of Famer.
1: <laughs> that would have been interesting. But, you know, so obviously the Jets are on my mind as they always are. And, you know, the, the Bills, Josh Allen was here. We didn't see him, unfortunately. But what I want to talk about with you is, you know, us being. Jets and Bills fans, AFC East. What do you, where do you see, obviously, we got some big turnover now with the Dolphins, Mike McDaniel in there at head coach, the, Dol- the, the Patriots coming off which was a promising season but faded towards the end. Obviously, look, the Bills are the kings of the AFC East. No one's going to deny that. But yeah. l- l- let's talk a little AFC East right now because why not? What do you What do you think about the future of this division? Who do you think? What do you, how do you see this playing out for the next couple of years? I think the
0: Bills are in really good shape.
1: Yeah, they probably are. They, they really <laughs> are
0: because Josh Allen is a superstar. And we've talked about this at various points through a number of different channels to get to this conversation, but I think Josh Allen is challenging for the best quarterback in the NFL. I mean, yeah, he said really, that we were talking about He's that last really night. that good. And just from physical gifts to the decision-making to what he does with the context of that offense, his running ability, which I think even though people have seen now how dangerous he is running the football still don't give him, well, I mean, his, he was the best running back the Bills had this year, well, and he's not even I mean, close. His, he was averaging even, even like when he, seven yards a carry. When, when
1: his rookie year, when he was completing yeah. the ball 50% of the time, he was still relying on those legs. The legs have always been a quality uh, you know, part of his game. That 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 hasn't faded yeah. as we have people running around. So excuse us as we're looking all over the place. You know, I, I will say this. I'm obviously not a Josh Allen fan. I can't be. I'm not a fan of the Buffalo Bills. But, you know, the, the development, what I see in Josh Allen – is and obviously to ask this of Zach Wilson would be absurd. I'm He's not going to get there. I'm not saying he doesn't have the same natural athletic ability. I'm not. I'm not saying he does. What I'm more so saying is this. You know, the idea that you know Josh Allen's rookie year was very. I mean, I think it would be fair. It was mediocre. It wasn't. It wasn't great.
0: No. Uh, I, you he saw some flashes. He but saw it flashes. Wasn't passing the ball, it wasn't great. Yeah, it
1: was not it, big accuracy issues. Yeah, sophomore year there was some a big. There was a jump improvement, and then by year three. He was obviously uh, contending for, you know, one of of the better quarterbacks in the league, MVP, favor, that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying Zach Wilson's going to get to that level. That's not what I'm hoping for. But as we're talking about the AFC East, what I see in the timeline of Josh Allen's development is what I want to see from Zach Wilson. I think Zach Wilson had a very mediocre rookie year, if you will. I don't think he was terrible. I don't think he was bad. I think he gets a little too much hate. I think as is the nature of football and as is the nature of someone screaming behind us as we got crazy stuff going on. Yeah. Um. It's always natural for fans, the media, whatever have you, especially in the New York market, to blame the quarterback. The Jets had so many issues this year, whether it was on the offensive side the defensive side. The offense improved as the season went on. I was actually uh, happy with some Until of the things they that had had going Until
0: they had 65 on. total yards in the last yeah, game the okay, season. Yeah, okay,
1: let's please. We're trying to have a civilized discussion. <laughs> do you mind? Anyway. <laughs> So by
0: civilized well, conversation, which includes you ignoring the facts here, they got it okay, better well, again, as the season can, can went I, on. Can and they I,
1: okay, yeah, better as the season went on. Uh, it was like two in degrees and windy, and Zach Wilson was Zach Wilson was throwing to some guy named like oh God, what was that guy's name? There was a wide receiver. His his number one target that day was a guy that had elevated the practice squad. Yeah, but some guy named like Tavarius Black. Who do the Bills have? Who they have? Diggs. Right. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's rookie, rookie, year. rookie year. You're talking about the rookie well, year. Well, again, Andre Holmes and finish, Kelvin
0: Benjamin. Can <laughs>
1: I finish my point? No. Please. I just What I want to see out of Zach Wilson is a similar time frame of development. He had a mediocre rookie year. He definitely showed a lot of flashes. I don't care how big of a Zach Wilson here you are. He did show a lot of flashes. I want to see steady improvement next year. I want to see overall quality play. And then by year three, you know, I want to see some more elite development. But actually, what I want to talk about is, like, we talk Jets-Bills. It's just going to get heated all day long. We're looking at the AFC East as a whole, and one team that's not represented at this table by fan, fandom is the Miami Dolphins, who, of course, just made a new head coaching hire, who are, of course, embroiled in the Brian Flores situation. You know, what do you think about the Dolphins going forward? I think when it comes to Miami, because we gotta, we got to consider them when we're talking about the AFC East. I'm just, I still have major question marks about Tua. I, I really yeah, don't know who's the they're guy. Warranted. And I don't know. And, look, I the LaFleur... Uh, you know, excuse me, the Shanahan coaching tree obviously has produced a lot of great assistance so far. So you, you would hope that Mike McDaniel can be a good head coach if you're a Dolphins fan. But even if he's a great head coach, is there really a lot to even get out of to at this point? I don't know.
0: Well, that's a tough thing. I was saying that if I were a potential head coach and I had options, and Mike McDaniel probably didn't if he wanted to be a head coach in this cycle. Kellen Moore probably will, and that made it a little bit easier for him to lay off really aggressively pursuing the Dolphins job. But I would have really thought long and hard about taking that Dolphins job because it's really it's it's a tough place to be.
1: I mean you already see Tua, right now Tua
0: is with this is ownership. Just not somebody yeah. who I think you can win big with. That's no. not to say that you can't win, but those apparently aren't the expectations in Miami and you can say whatever you want about the issues surrounding Brian Flores' dismissal and whether they were right, wrong, you know, wh- whatever the situation was, if it's true that he wasn't getting along with people in the way that he should have, but I think that to me was the most eye-popping thing because they were good the last couple of years, not great, but they were good. They were competing. They win eight games in a row. They finished nine and eight after going I mean, ten it's and six too many, a season ago. Two winning seasons for right? the first
1: time, in, I think it's over twenty years. From exactly.
0: I mean. So you're going to move on from that with, by everyone's admission. A limited quarterback there's just no there's no way that you can watch the Dolphins play and say that he's on the level of a Josh Allen who beat Brian Flores all six times that he played him as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins there's no way that you can say he's on the level of a Mahomes a Lamar Jackson a Joe Burrow Justin Herbert the list goes on and on and it's really a difficult spot for him to yeah, uh, he's, he's trying to show me Mac Jones. <laughs> Mac right Jones, now. these Patriots fans. But, are but dri- this is the whole this I want to hear the I might even say that Mac Jones right now is ahead of Tua. I would say that because I but think that Mac th- Jones, th- from a technical, from a reading defenses perspective, is probably ahead of him. I mean, Tua's is really limited in just the RPO game and can't throw the ball down the field. So it's just a difficult space to be in because you are undermanned and undergunned at the most important position in the NFL in a league where you have to have great quarterback play to win. That doesn't mean you always win, but it means that Patrick Mahomes, you know, Josh Allen loses because of how well Patrick Mahomes plays, or or Mahomes loses because of how well Joe Burrow played. So it's just one of those things where I think you are really up against it if you are trying to go into a situation like that, in particular for Mike McDaniel with Tua in his own division where he is he's definitely not the best. He might not even be the second best, and I would tell you that we can – Figure out where Zach Wilson's development's going to take him. I'd want Zach Wilson right now over Tua. I mean, I, I think I think mm. I'd say this right now. I mean,
1: okay, just uh, that's just absurd. Zach I would. Wilson, Zach Wilson has so much more of a higher ceiling than Tua at this point. It's not yeah, even but funny.
2: ceiling. Who cares about ceiling?
1: Tua the has reached his ceiling. He's not. I don't care what Tua does. Tua. I mean, Tua. I'm sorry. I've seen enough. Of the his ceiling play. does matter two, in this The ceiling. You gotta think. You gotta consider the conference that you're in. The AFC. in Nick just ran it off. This is possibly the most loaded conference quarterback-wise I have ever seen in the history of football. Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Uh, I mean, who else am I forgetting? Justin Herbert. I mean, we, we got like five. Derek
0: Carr is th- pretty good, Derek too. Derek
1: Carr is solid. Joe Burrow, who is in the Super Bowl, for God's sakes. I mean, that's six, seven quarterbacks right there that are, are just absolute studs. If you're a team in the NFC, I'd be you your lucky stars that you're in the NFC. So my whole thing is, if you're an AFC team like the Dolphins, a team that doesn't have that Surefire fire quarterback, you, when, you, when you're thinking, obviously at the end of the day, the goal for every team is to win a Super Bowl. That's what you want. That's Any team that isn't trying to win a Super Bowl isn't trying. You play to win the game, as the great Herm Edwards said. And when you're a team in the AFC and you look at the competition, you realize, hey, we make the playoffs, we're going to have to go up against a Mahomes and Allen or Herbert, Burrow, whoever. So keeping that in mind, you need a quarterback that can match them in terms of athleticism, in terms of the, the cannon arm, the ability to just... Just control a game, and I don't. And I, to me, have already figured out that Tua can is never going to be that guy. And I'm not saying Zach Wilson is going to be that guy. I'm not a Jet fan drinking the Jet Kool Aid the way Patriot fans drink the, the Mac Jones Kool Aid. I mean, a Pro
2: Bowler. I don't. Okay, that is just the oh, dumbest thing.
1: You know who else is a Pro Bowler? Mitch Trubisky, the backup for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, the Pro Bowl and is the he most even won an MVP? Thing. All Pro is the meaningful award. And so, I mean, it just it, I mean, look. No offense to the Patriot fans, but like. You guys had the greatest quarterback of all time, and that is fantastic. Power to you. You won six Super Bowls. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest quarterback who ever lived. I hate him, but I respect the hell out of him. He's just an absolute the GOAT. There's no dispute. But just because you had him, doesn't mean that every other quarterback you get is somebody. Yeah, every
2: good. other. It's been, one, it's been Cam Newton and Mac Jones. Not every other. We're both you, but, you, good. but
1: you now think that. We every, haven't even
2: gotten you, to a Bill every, Belichick Patriot
1: here. Patriot fans think that now every quarterback they get is just going to be the next Tom Brady. No. Tom Brady is a once-in-a-generation talent.
2: Yeah, I remember. You might, it. Have,
1: you might have a good quarterback. I'm not even saying Mac Jones is going to be bad. But the way that Patriot fans talk about Mac Jones, who was really exposed down the stretch of the season, losing, what was it, three of the last four, two of the last three, whatever. Four or get, five. Getting shellacked in the playoffs. It showed his limitations. I'm sorry. He's losing Josh McDaniels to be the – the. he's going to the Raiders now. You bring in Joe Judge, which, I mean, I don't care who Bill Belichick thinks he is. You're bringing in Joe Judge to contribute to your team after that dumpster fire? Good luck with that, my friend. And then it's not even a joke. They're seriously considering Adam Gase. They are seriously (laughs)
4: considering – I think it's going to be Bill O'Brien, though.
1: Well, that's like that. That, in it's its, it, yeah. that in of itself. That in of itself is still, not, is good, still not good. Yeah, no. Because the other thing is that these people think, and Tom Brady proved it by going to Tampa Bay. Now we're starting to get just much like with Bill. I think a little bit of the shine of Bill wore off after Tom left. Yeah, and I'm with you. I will say this we can too. We get there. We'll get there in a second. Yeah. I want to say this right now. The other issue we have is this: the Raiders are like, oh, we need to hire Josh McDaniels. Look what he did in New England. That's like when they gave Adam C- Gase credit for Peyton Manning. A great quarterback is a great quarterback. And, you know, it doesn't, as Tom Brady showed by going to Tampa Bay, he's going to play great wherever he goes. You, At the end of the day, coaches coach and players play. And you have to be realistic about what you're expecting. And keep in mind, Josh McDaniel, absolute dumpster fire of a head coach with the Denver Broncos. Like, what was that? 10 years ago? Yeah. But go ahead. No, go.
0: I, I say I think Belichick's overrated. I, I really do. And well, I, I, I have think, some thoughts on that. Like, I, I joke around and I say that he's Rex Ryan when he doesn't have Tom Brady, but like, it's, it's that type of record. Like I think that Belichick's a, obviously a better coach than Rex Ryan just from a detail oriented perspective and and you know I joke about it a little bit but at the same time it's just proven over and over again that you can't win without a great quarterback that's that's mm-hmm. clear yep. and any coach is human when you don't have that and that to me is the most puzzling aspect of the way the Patriots are trying to move forward without Tom Brady to me because they are trying to play this early two thousand style yeah. with the young quarterback. We're going to try and run the football. We're going to play great defense, and that That's just the doesn't classic really work. R-
1: That's the Rex Ryan ground what I'm saying ground? that doesn't really work doesn't. in
0: today's NFL. And Mac Jones is a good player, but I don't think he has that ceiling to be able to compete with these Jack, guys going forward. You, you, okay, okay you
2: but you know what? I can respond to it.
0: Yeah, let You, you, can't, can't, want hear
2: you it. can't give me a hard time before Go I ahead. even respond. Go ahead. What I'll say is that you guys forget that Cam Newton was the expected starter going into this season, okay. right? Mac Jones wasn't cool. even supposed to be the starter from day one. Okay. And you talk Until about was
0: Zach and Cam Newton, the playbook.
2: Yes, yes. But what and does you, it have
1: to do with Mac Jones' talent?
2: Because you talk about Zach Wilson in year two, how you want to see progress. Yeah. How about Mac Jones showing actual progress in year one? Right? We want to see more out of him in year Didn't two. Did he regress as the season went on? I mean, he's saying getting he, better
0: in year two, though. I I do think that's fair. I just don't think there's a huge ceiling for him. Because there's not much else that you can get out of him. I mean, he'll learn defenses better. He'll be better at the line of scrimmage, but he still can't make those types of throws. Like Mac Jones will know that this deep third is open, but he's not going to be able to get it there. You know, most what, one of the best plays of the season in the NFL was Micah Hyde's interception in that, that was wild. I mean, ridiculous. And, and Mac Jones, it was a good throw. Yeah, it was a good throw, and Micah Hyde made as good a play uh, you're going to see a safety make. In NFL history, I mean, that was insane. Patrick Mahomes throws that ball. as a touchdown. Armstrong well, It's not fair to compare Mac Jones. But, but, you, you, have, but you have Pick to who who be you realistic. Want. Mahomes, you want Lamar Jackson, and you, you want Joe Burrow, whomever it is. I'm saying that it's just those physical things that regardless of where he grows outside of seeing it, that's on time. That's a great throw. It was accurate. And somebody else was able to take it away from him because of the physical nature of Mac Jones's arm. He just doesn't have that. So, to me, that's where I, I teeter. And we can get back to the AFCs thing here. Like, now this, this is this is how this is where the game is going. You know, I hate to you know he's coaching where football is going, right? <laughs> this is where football is heading, right? So you you get that opportunity. But these Josh Allen is that physical specimen. Mahomes, he's got that arm strength. He has that mobility. I don't think people give Mahomes enough credit for how mobile he is and the ability to burn teams running the football. So they just don't do it as much design-wise. So I, I like those guys, and, and you bet on those types of talents to carry you through. And, yes, there is the competitive nature. There is The reading defenses aspect, which I think is crucial, I think that's what made Tom Brady so good. You know, people talk about the competitive edge. Whatever, he he was so good at the line of scrimmage. He was as good as any coach, but actually being able to play and then make the throws. I just Mac Jones, for him to be elite like that, has to take that type of step, and that has never been taken before, and may not be taken after Brady is out of the NFL.
2: But could he be as good as either Ryan Tannehill? Or Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. And this applies to Tua neither as well. But Could either of those guys be just as good as, if not better, than th- Tannehill? Throw away an AFC divisional yeah, round that's what playoff I'm saying. Game. Like, I'm just we're, saying
1: we're these trying are a good team. Tannehill's but proven, trying Tannehill's to proven that you can't win with him. Exactly. The whole point, I just said it. You. Oh, wait, Anthony Anderson's here. Okay, all right. Celebrity sighting. Uh, the whole point is you play to win the game. <laughs> You're the New England Patriots. You built a dynasty, and what? Now you're comfortable with just oh, we're fine. We're just going to try to lose in the divisional right Now you need to go out there and try to win. But and that try to, to me is where best. I
0: blame Belichick because he knows this. Yes. There's no way that the greatest coach of all time doesn't understand that this is the way to go out and win in today's NFL. And he still was like, you know what, I'm so good, I can go out and win this way. And I just don't think that that's That's, right. That's
1: Belichick's hubris right there. I'm going to
0: bring guys in. We're going to win with defense. We're going to win with a rookie quarterback. We're going to win with Cam Newton, whatever it is. We're not really going to be aggressive. We're going to take the guy with a limited ceiling because we can go in and we can make sure... (laughs) That he is really that good. I, I well, the flip I that, side to that, that. To me is I don't like it.
2: The flip side, to I don't that. like
0: him in personnel at all. The free agency this this year was the a free disaster agency too. was a mess. Have fun paying Jonu Smith twenty that million. That was next
1: absurd. Year. How about uh, Nikhil Harry, yeah. uh, Nelson Aguilar? Yeah, I hate Nikhil this, Harry is, stuff. This, this is what this <laughs> but is what the ha- drafting. This, Bill Bill has just proven to be a, the coaches. A, a the scouting, man. they're not
0: building an actual he, team.
1: Bill Belichick. This is what happened. He watches his, his golden child. He, he he you know gets Brady all mad. He leaves. Goes goes a wall. Brady wins the Super Bowl. Then what happens? Everyone starts the conversation, which needed to be had, of, like, who was more responsible for those titles. Was it Brady or was it Belichick? And now we got Belichick. He's by himself. He just watched Brady win a Super Bowl. So what does he do? He's like, I need to prove that it was me. So he goes out as also the GM and makes all these insane signings to try to, you know— Build, rebuild his team, whatever. I mean, I'll give you uh, Judon. I think Judon was a good signing. He had a good year. He fell off
2: the map at the end of the he
1: season. Did. Essence,
2: that me. was very disappointing.
1: Uh, but you know, I don't know. Just uh, the Patriots. I just I'll be happy with those. <laughs> I
0: want Bill players. O'Brien in there, and to I see want Adam Gase
2: there. Let's no, go. No, no. I Let's want go. Bill <laughs>
0: O'Brien in there to see what kind of personnel decisions those two together can come up with. I That's I just, what I'm really shooting for. At
2: the end of the day, the Patriots went ten and seven, made the playoffs we'll with stay. a rookie quarterback. You can talk about ceiling. You can talk, but to me. That's a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, no, I, that's fair. I'm just saying that fair. I think that they are in a tough spot yes. to compete for the foreseeable future yes. in the AFC because they are outgunned at the quarterback position and the Bills have the better roster. Now, again, who knows what can happen, injuries otherwise, but you like where the Bills are right now from, from that perspective, and everybody else is certainly looking up, and Zach Wilson has that potential opportunity. If he's able to really grow, I think he's got those physical traits that you covet as yes. a number two Overall pick that, where if he develops in the right way, I'll tell you I'm I'm looking for more in year two. I mean that's that oh, to that's, me is, exactly. is huge. I think that's fair, but you you feel like he might be able to lead you to that spot. Whereas I I, I hate to say it and it really pains me because you know how I love my Patriots fans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Doesn't everybody?
0: I think they oh, and and the Dolphins are in a tough spot in the foreseeable future just because of of the nature of the beast and you know, it's going to be so much fun. I I love, you know, getting a chance again to to talk with these guys just to get their perspective on, you know, how great the quarterback play has been right now. And we we had a chance to ask Marcus McNeil about Justin Herbert and, you know, Nick Mangold, the the quarterbacks that he was able to play with. But, you know, the guys right now, in particular in the AFC, it's it's just so impressive. and, And it's going to be a battle for years and years. It's going to be tough. And, how does Patrick Mahomes bounce back from a really suspect performance was, in the AFC Championship game? Half. In the second half, I, the, the Chiefs seem to run out of gas a little bit. They have played a lot of football recently. You know, the last couple of years in a number of runs to the to four straight AFC Championship games, and it, it's going to be. I'm I'm fascinated to see how he bounces back because, you know, he's been great, and the cap hit's going to come in now the Chiefs are going to have to do some work in continuing to field the pieces around him they'll have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey but rebuilding that offensive line is going to be again a priority as they did this offseason and and seeing what they've got left on defense will be interesting in in a team that I think a lot of people really feel like is is one of the top dogs in the AFC and has been for so long and where does that leave a Cincinnati You know, who who saw Cincinnati coming and they've got sixty and and they've got sixty mil in cap space, you know, going into free agency this year, do they choose to spend it? Where are they able to improve in the draft? And Joe Burrow is a guy who maybe is on the lesser end of those absolutely wow you with the physical traits, but everywhere he goes he just wins and and he's been so good at, at understanding what defenses are trying to do to him and the weaponry that they have and how much Jamar Chase has meant. To that offense, it's it's going to be a really fascinating sight to see the, the battle for the AFC in the last you know going forward here you know ne- next six years.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, everyone talks about. I it, mean, it's, it's our generation. Everyone talks about the and now that they're officially over with Brady's retirement, that era of Roethlisberger, Brady, Peyton Manning, Philip Rivers. You know that and that was just the the AFC, and then obviously in the NFC you had Drew Brees. Uh, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers kind of overlaps into that era. Um, but, you know, even when we think about that AFC lineup that I just mentioned, you know, that we considered that to be stacked at the time. And I just – I'd never recall uh, a time when there were just so much talent at the quarterback position. Now, obviously, this is the nature of the NFL. The NFL has now become an offensive league. It's all about the quarterback position. And, you know, defense, you know, between the rule changes and everything and the way that the game is officiated, it's very much an offensive game and focuses on the quarterback. So it's only natural that we're going to have bigger and better quarterbacks as time goes on. It's just – I don't know. To me, and this is this is how I view it. You know, you're you're in a different spot where you have your your bills. You know, essentially are a, have been for the last two years a Super Bowl contender. They honestly, to me, that Chiefs Bills game. Well, obviously, I mean, I think I, obviously that's not what happened, but I think a lot of people at the time before you know, we were counting out the Bengals, they, they said that was the AFC Championship game because yeah. of how big the Bills were and the Chiefs were, and you know. So I think you're in a good spot because you have that guy that can go toe to toe. You have a great defense. You know, for me as the Jet fan, and you know, I think for those those teams that aren't playoff teams, the teams that are rebuilding, the mediocre teams, you know, even if Zach Wilson were to develop into a really good quarterback, I don't even know if I'd feel comfortable because I just don't know, even if Zach Wilson became an elite quarterback, are we going to, am I going to, you know, I, I just don't know, like, what, is, is that even going to be enough? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that even going to be enough to even go toe-to-toe, win a round, win two rounds? It just, to me, it was already daunting to try to make the playoffs. And now with with all these quarterbacks it's even more daunting
0: fascinating to me because the NFL is almost turned into the NBA in a way right you have to have at this point that ultra star level quarterback and we talk about this in the NBA all the time but unless you have you know Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving now that James Harden's been <laughs> traded to Philadelphia or you know James Harden and Joel Embiid those types of guys LeBron and Anthony Davis anybody along those types of star power you're not going to be able to compete in the nba and in the same way in the nfl the teams are proving that you're just not going to be able to compete without that top level talent and and guys who are just so incredibly good in the afc in particular you know you're running an uphill battle joe burrow josh allen patrick mahomes lamar jackson those types of guys i mean it's it's really going to be tough to to get through the afc
1: yeah, and, you know, I mentioned it before, you know, it's shifting a little bit to the NFC picture right now, you know.
0: And what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? Too? What's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers?
1: I mean, think about this. Think about how stacked the AFC would be if this happens. Let's say there's been all this talk, talk uh, you know, Matt Eberflus or whatever, Broncos head coach now, correct? So. Nate Hackett. Nate Hackett, excuse me. Eberflus is the Bears. Bears. I get the two yep. of them mixed up. But Hackett obviously has the Aaron Rodgers connection. Right. You know, there was talking before the season started, is Aaron Rodgers going to go to the Broncos? I, now, I personally don't think the Broncos is that appealing, but, I mean, maybe it is I to wouldn't him. do it. I think the Packers, as standing, are right. still more of a appealing option. So, you know, think about what would happen if Aaron Rodgers would go to the AFC. But with the NFC, I mean, I want to talk about the NFC for a bit because now it's kind of like we're deciding what's going on now with, uh, um, excuse me, as we have some, so a lot of things getting sorted out to the side of us, uh, you know, you think about the quarterback class. Justin Fields obviously drafted this year, Chicago Bears. I mean, what do you think? I I, I wasn't overly impressed. No, I yeah, wasn't a know. huge
0: fan of his coming out of college. I mean, I think he's he's a guy with the right mentality. I'm just not in love. With again some of those physical things physical that we were traits, talking about, yeah. he's more mobile, but he's not as big. I'm not a, a huge fan of the arm strength. I think that's a limitation.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we mentioned that. We also, you know, we think about the NFC. What's going to happen with Trey Lance? The guy drafted number three overall didn't. Really oh, play. he'll
0: start for. The he's going no, he's
1: gonna start. Yeah. My question is, gonna is what are yeah. we going to get out of him? Right. The guy's played what was it one game in 2020? A couple of them. He played, oh, it was two. Well,
0: no, in at North Dakota, he played one game, and then he played a couple of games this year. His last appearance, he actually looked pretty good. Threw for, for for 250 yards.
1: No, I, I know. What I was saying in college, he doesn't yeah. have that. College Development, played one. I know played he played a little year. bit one in game the at North yeah, State last
4: year,
1: and he played a little bit in the NFL this year. They started off the season; they were going to do that whole kind of college system with two quarterbacks putting him in a bit. He started some games when Jimmy was out, know I didn't. Obviously, I didn't really watch him. I couldn't really tell you, but you know, with the future of the NFC, uh, when you got a Trey Lance, Justin Fields, the younger guys, we don't know what's happening with Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, Brady just retired. What's going on with Tampa Bay? I mean, the one thing to think about is this: you know what? is the future with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What about Aaron Rodgers? Are you someone who's enticed to maybe go down to Tampa Bay and hop in, in that situation? Now, I don't think that's likely with the cap situation and all the free agents, but I don't know.
0: Yeah, that is certainly a place to think about. And as Mike mentions, cap situations <laughs> and free agents, it's a great time to bring on Lee Steinberg, NFL agent. Lee, we appreciate you taking some time with us here on Radio Row. First things first, how hectic a time is it for you after the Super Bowl getting all these contracts sorted out?
8: <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, it's hectic this week. you got players in the game, but then uh, I throw my big Super Bowl party on Saturday. <laughs> so that's really our focus now. Is, uh, we're going to be at Sony Studios, and we have uh, um, a brain health summit. So I've been working on the concussion issue for years and years. And uh, we're exploring how to, how to cure um, concussion and, and how we've got neurologists from across the country. I had a crisis of conscience back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Players kept getting hit in the head, and, and no one could tell us how many were too many of the rest. So we started holding conferences, and we'll hold the next one now.
1: Uh, you know, Lee, obviously we're here at the Super Bowl. We're here at the L.A. Convention Center. You know, some of the players that you've represented played in some big Super Bowls, you know, Steve Young, Troy Aikman. When you think about how can you quantify what it means to a player's marketability, their value for them to get to the big game? I mean, you think about there have been some all-time great players, Dan Marino, or you want to talk about even someone like Odell Beckham Jr., who took until now to finally get here. We still think of them as these great, huge, marketable players, big contracts, but can you quantify like, the difference it makes to actually get to the Super Bowl and then finally win one?
8: Yes. If a player performs dramatically in this venue, because you have so many people following it that don't follow ordinary football, they may not watch a game during the year, but they watch the Super Bowl. And because the numbers are so high, it allows a player who performs dramatically here and and on a winning team to transcend the narrow genre of hardcore sports fans and move into household name status. And that that consists of, of uh, late night and early morning talk shows and People Magazine and all the rest of it. So I remember years ago when Troy Aikman won his first super bowl and i said troy do you know what's happened and he said yeah yeah we won the game i said no you entered the game as troy aikman excellent quarterback and you're leaving the game as troy aikman superstar and the marketing took off from there steve young same way um patrick Mahomes, we waited for a couple of years didn't do a lot of endorsements and then again wins the super bowl and off we go so this is the biggest marketing event um in american sports what do you advise
0: players when they have success in this type of environment when all the eyes are on them to get the opportunity of you know everywhere whether it be you know marketing opportunities you know other outlets to go in and, and be able to make themselves available to media and take advantage of those opportunities what do you stress to them
8: that the engine you train is success on the field so that you can't lose sight of the need to train and the need to stay grounded and all the rest of it. Um, But we're in a new age with social media and uh, players presenting themselves um, and the new currency is how many followers do you have on Twitter? How many followers on Instagram? I mean, that's what sets the stage. So, it's you want to If you're successful, you want to have the fun and you want to have the excitement, but you want to keep balanced also.
2: Lee, a player that you represented was Warren Moon, and I just wanted to know if there are any parallels that you see between his situation and what's going on with Brian Flores right now.
8: Um, You know, it was 1978, and at that time there was a segment of uh, personnel in the NFL who thought that the so-called thinking positions which was quarterback, center, middle linebacker, that blacks didn't have the uh, aptitude for it or they didn't have the comfort factor with a black quarterback. And Warren went to Canada. And uh, now, as it worked out, he spent six years up there. He came back three leagues, negotiated against each other. He was a pure free agent. He signed the biggest contract in history. And he made the Hall of Fame. But... um, It's incomprehensible to me that you would have 32 teams, and out of them um, there are only two black head coaches. It's just uh, something is not functioning with the system the way it is, and they need to make an analysis and figure out uh, how you can do merit-based selection that gives you more diversity.
1: You know, Lee... You mentioned some of the bigger-name clients that you've had, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, Patrick Holmes, guys that have had tremendous success in the NFL. Uh, but you also represented Ryan Leaf, who, of course, is one of the more you know, infamous, very high picks, in his NFL career or, ultimately didn't pan out, number two overall. Um, what's it like as an agent when you have a guy who comes into the NFL with such a big name, everyone's expecting the world of him, and then for ultimately not to work out, I don't want to say fail, but not meet expectations, as an agent, what is that like,
8: and you know, what is your perspective, and what is what would like to deal with all of that? The difficult thing, first of all, we profile clients, so we're looking for role models who will set up a high school, college, and professional uh, scholarship fund at the high school, give back at the college, charitable foundation. So we've raised almost nine hundred million dollars for charity. So you don't get a lot of situations that happen like Ryan, yeah problem there was as hard as we tried to to draw him out of his shell he was resistant and um he's here and i've uh, talked to him and and he when he started to get criticized he felt like the world was against him and he kept withdrawing and withdrawing and drawing and it got worse and worse don't think we didn't try to bring in um doctors and a variety of different people to help him but at a certain point it becomes beyond your power and the good news about ryan leaf is that he's sober he's uh being a great role model for all sorts of people with those issues and he's um um at the end of the day you know back on television being an analyst so it had a happy ending but it was uh terrifying for a while
0: Talking to NFL agent Lee Seinberg here. We appreciate you taking some time with us here on on one-on-one. Curious for you as the Super Bowl wraps up, head into the NFL offseason, what is the process like when teams are contacting your clients, trying to engage them and, and eventually get their services? And, you know, maybe somebody comes in with an offer that you can't believe and say, no, my guy's worth so much more than that.
8: So uh, if you're talking about free agency, the, what you want to do is lead the process. So you're not waiting till the season's over. You're already, if this is a player you think won't re-sign with the team, you're already looking for at rosters and places he could go and maybe talking a little bit to general managers and, and laying the foundation. Um, in free agency, unlike the draft, it's the free market. So if you have more than one bidder, then where a veteran negotiating to redo with the team, we're going to show stats, we're going to show comparisons, we're going to show everything to justify a figure. Um, in in free agency, it's just uh, who will pay what and what's the largest figure. Now, money may not be the only criteria for a player. They may care about... Um, You know, being on a winning team, the quality of coaching, the geographical location, how good it is for their family. So not everybody, it's strictly that. But you sit with a player and you suss out what their priorities are. You know, Lee, I'm just interested as well.
1: Obviously, it's Super Bowl week. We're talking football. That's the focus right now. But, you know, you very famously were involved in the effort to keep the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco. You played a hand in keeping the A's in Oakland. So obviously you have a bit of a baseball connection there. As you look at baseball, and I know we're doing football talk, but I think it's just a big story right now in sports in general, the relationship between owners and players. You look at the lockout that's going on right now. As an agent, when you look at a lockout situation, you know obviously at the end of the day, your job is to help you know your client make money. How much does a lock? Obviously, it's it seems obvious, but you know what kind of role does an agent play during a lockout? What do you do with your with clients at that time? You know, just do you have any thoughts on the current lockout situation? I don't, I don't know if you have anything to say about that.
8: I think any type of labor strife that plays out publicly hurts the brand and pushes fans away. Because, look, they're not going to have empathy with millionaires fighting with billionaires. Um, And so that needs to be done quietly behind the scenes, and you would hope, Ahead of before when an actual lockout happens, so it's it's a failure at at any time. But hopefully this one gets over quickly because uh, as we start to get into later February, it's going to be the time that um, spring training uh, pitchers and other people uh, uh, end up showing up. And the minute that we actually start missing, uh, th- remember we've been through a COVID pandemic yeah. time. And the exciting thing about baseball was that they had live crowds, and so it's coming back. Um, I think it's dangerous to meth- mess with the uh, crowd, uh, with the fans in this way.
0: Lee, appreciate you taking some time. One last one for you here. Uh, what is the most exciting part of this Super Bowl party? Um, <laughs>
8: Uh, being able to collapse after it. Uh, <laughs> the, um, uh, it's giving humanitarian awards. It's, it's um, uh, mixing. It's where you teach your young players how to network, how to spend five minutes with someone in a conversation, get their card. Um, uh, it's, it's watching the rookies be part of pro football for the first
1: time. Actually, Lee, I know Nick said he had that was the last question, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. It's rumored that you are the inspiration for Jerry Maguire, the, the Tom Cruise movie and the titular character. I'm just curious, you know, how much of the character is like you, and do you find that that movie does a good job representing sports agency?
8: I thought it humanized sports agents. Cameron Crowe called me up, the writer-director, in 1993 and asked if he could follow me around for the next couple of years. Well, I didn't think it would be two years, but, <laughs> but he could follow me around uh, to pick up atmosphere for a movie on the sports agent. And, and he went to the draft in 93 when Drew Bledsoe got drafted. He went to the league meetings. He came to games with me. He spent time in my office. He went to the Super Bowl with me. And I told him stories, lots and lots of stories. So what parts of what he used is uh, between me and he, but... Um, <laughs> But then I was technical advisor, so I had to vet the script to make sure the willing suspension of disbelief that holds you in a motion picture mm-hmm. didn't get broken. Yeah. And uh, then he assigned me the actors, like I had Cuban Gooding Jr., who I took oh. down to uh, the Phoenix Super Bowl and <laughs> made him pretend he was my client <laughs> <And> <laughs> all week. Right. And let me put it this way, it's been 25 years this year for that film, but still when I go to an airport or go out to dinner, someone's going to run up to the table and say <laughs> those four <laughs> iconic words that money. start with show
1: me the money. There we go. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I'm glad we could talk a little bit about Jerry Maguire because why not? Thank you so much, Lee. My pleasure.
0: Thanks, Lee. That Lee Steinberg, NFL agent. Some thank great you. insight about the NFL offseason. Talking about show showing me the money and... Everything else in between is one-on-one rolls on here from Radio Row. Nick Toluca, Mike Legan, Jack Roach, and Mike Messina here getting abandoned at the table. Picture with Lee Steinberg, the photo op, but that's all right. We'll we'll stick with you here all afternoon long as we head on from 1 to 4. Here in Los Angeles in the convention center ahead of Rams Not, not to bangles. cut off Nick,
1: but it would not be a true Hollywood experience without a photo opportunity, would it?
0: Well, not to cut me off, but cut me off. <laughs> I mean, it is I've been trying it is. my best to get some pics of you guys. <laughs> no, I know. You've been doing a great job. And notice how Roach just quietly puts the headset back on. He's I'm sad, not Roach. He's right I'm big, brash, and I'm just loud. trying to, to hold the show together. And now, you know, oh, I guess... Uh, it's it wasn't to be, you know. Whatever I was saying, I was saying. We'll move on. Okay. It's just it's just true, you know. I was I wasn't invited to the photo, so it is. What I it is. thought
1: you were getting up. I didn't realize. Well, you were we got someone's got a. I mean, the that show. is well, you know. I don't know. I, <laughs> it was for Westwood too. Someone's
0: got a host you the show been there. here. Yeah, I know. I should have been. Oh <laughs> yeah, well. Um, I should have been there. What are you going to do? But great great insight from Lee about you know contracts and things, and that's something. That is coming up sooner rather than later. You know, after Sunday, everybody's focused to the NFL offseason, the NFL draft, and you know what additions can each team make. Some with more cap space than others. Of course, the Patriots down toward the bottom in that uh, that arena, but some teams, you know, really well positioned to try and make a few moves, make some improvements to their roster, and and see if they can't be the two teams that are here at Radio Row and otherwise preparing for the Super Bowl in the next season's time so really should be be interesting to see what goes on in the NFL offseason too
1: yeah I mean look I think the NFL you, you can debate it I mean I think I'll say this you know the MLB offseason this year before the lockout was pretty exciting because everyone yeah. was in a rush to get a deal done
0: the and deadline we, is so and important. we and we didn't yeah.
1: have that long drawn out MLB offseason so maybe that's a, a positive to come out of the lockout if there's any uh, but I think the NFL offseason is up there among the best. I mean, you want to go NBA, I'm just more of an NFL guy to begin with. So I, I find that the NFL offseason is, you know, it's an exciting time. It's a fun time. And I think, you know, for all any, it doesn't matter what team you root for. I don't care if it's a bottom-of-the-basement team, a team that's a Super Bowl contender or a potential championship game contender. Your team is, as a fan, you're excited for the offseason because you're either thinking one or two things. You're thinking, hey, my team's rebuilding. We're trying to get back to being a quality franchise. This offseason, can we get some pieces in here to do that? Or if you're a Super Bowl contender, a, a playoff contender, you're looking at it as, hey, maybe we're one piece away. We can target this guy. Boom. That puts us over the hump. Maybe we can finally get there. I mean, you can you can look, I don't care what team you want to pick out of your time. Look back over history. There's always so many Super Bowl teams where they had that one addition that really changed the, the roster, changed the team. You want to talk about Tom Brady, that one addition that yeah. completely changed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, turned them into Super Bowl winners and contenders. So, You know, I think the NFL offseason it should be exciting. I just wish we mentioned it with Doug Freeman. You know, it's just it's so the NFL season goes by so fast. You know, now we're at 17 games now. You know, we have the wild card, a divisional championship, and then the Super Bowl. And it just it seems like it was just yesterday the beginning of September. The season was getting started, and now we're done. And just it's sad. You know, the NFL, and we, we can talk about new leagues getting started, spring leagues, whatever. The NFL will always be king, and, uh, you know, it's 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 sad when it ends, but I think free agency gives us a bit of an extension. You know, it, it tides us over, you know, before we get into training camp and, you know, all that kind of stuff, preseason. So.
0: Yeah, the NFL does a great job with it, and, and it's always interesting to see what's going on and what improvements can be made. And I think that it's the Cincinnati Bengals really give a lot of people hope, seeing the way that they were able to go out and rise to stardom after – Joe Burrow gets hurt. They win only a few games last year, and then really such an incredible turnaround to see them here in the Super Bowl and the Los Angeles Rams, a team that was up and down, not thrilled with their number one overall pick quarterback in a huge offseason for Les Snead and for Sean McVay to say, we're going to revamp this entire organization. Matthew Stafford's available. We're going to make it work. Cap situation, we don't care. We're bringing in Matthew Stafford to shoot our shot at getting here to the Super Bowl, and they did it. So, a lot of hope from both of these organizations, showing that you can really just turn everything around in, in a matter of months if you are able to put together the right moves with the right coaching staff, with the rest of the right players. And, you know, I, I'm really fascinated to see what happens throughout the rest of this off season, and it, it should be a really interesting one. So. We continue our shuffling here. Marcus Capone from SEAL Team Six joining us here on one-on-one New York's longest-running sports college show. Marcus, we, we appreciate you taking some time. How are you today?
9: I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this has been a very f- fulfilling week, uh, educational. It's the first time I've been here at Radio Row, and so I've met. Met a lot of good people. Uh, we've done a lot of great interviews, and, um, you know, I hope to be back next year and kind of talk about, you know, why we're here. So,
0: Absolutely. First opportunity at Radio Row. What has this experience been like?
9: You know, it's just been informative, educational. Um, what a great networking opportunity. Um, everyone's been uh, very, very cordial friendly. Um, I think everyone's here for the same reasons. You know, they want to, uh, they want to learn. They want to tell their story. Uh, they want to talk about the big game on Sunday. Uh, they want to talk about the halftime show. Um, yeah, it's just been it's been great. I'm looking forward to the game on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for having me here.
3: Marcus, a pleasure to speak to you here on One on One. I'm curious. You went to BUDS. Not a lot of people really know what that is if they're not – don't have a military family or never really sure. went to the military. Can you just explain what BUDS is and how hard it is to kind of get through that program?
9: Yeah, BUDS is uh, – so BUDS is an acronym. Um, I think it was in 1962 uh, – foundation of, of the SEAL teams, or the, the start of the SEAL teams. Uh, BUDS is basic underwater demolition SEAL training. It's basically boot camp for SEALs. Uh, my class started with 175. We ended up with 29 original. So it's a very high attrition rate. and <laughs> um, But it's designed that way, right? It's not for everybody. And... Um, and it's just a very intense six-month selection course, really. They just want to see if you want to be there. And, and then if you can prove to the instructors that you want to be there physically and mentally, then they'll take you they there training you how to be soldiers. But they won't take you and train you how to be soldiers until they want to know like that you're really bought in. What was the
3: hardest part about butts for you? We always see videos of the trainees in the water getting sprayed with the hose on the ground, doing flutter kicks and stuff like that. What was the most challenging part for you physically and mentally?
9: Yeah, um... You know, I think that I've, I've been asked this question a lot, and, you know, I always try to think back, well, what was difficult during Buds? You know, I was a, I was a swimmer all through high school. Um, I was a sprinter, and so and, and I was a lifeguard growing up. So the water for me was, was fun and easy, and, and really most of the uh, water evolutions I didn't have any issues with. Um, and even the stuff on land, you know, I was a, a fo- you know, college football player and an athlete, and so... The hardest part for me, and I think like many, is just getting out of bed every morning. So you work so hard during the day that when you go to sleep and your muscles just like stop and you you roll out of bed the next morning, it's it's almost like, you know, if you did two or three days, if you played football, this is like doing 10 a days. Um, You know, edema starts to build up. You start to swell and you're just sore. Um, Many individuals quit actually in the morning. So it's not like there's an evolution that's very difficult, like doing push-ups or running, where they're just like, I can't take this, I ring the bell. That happens, absolutely. But a lot of times it's in the morning. They wake up and they go, oh, by the way, it's San Diego in the wintertime. It's like 48 degrees in the morning. The water, the Pacific Ocean is like 58. And, and, and you, in your mind, you know, in an hour you're going to be in the water. And you're just like, you know what, I can't do that. Like, I can't even think about doing that. So, you know, and, and guys ring the bell. And so it's, it's, I just thought the constant grind of getting up every day and then knowing you're going to get your ass kicked, you're literally going to get your ass kicked that day, you're going to be freezing cold, you're going to be sandy, and you're going to be miserable. And by the way, you better love it if you want to be here. <laughs>
3: is there any part of you that misses that? Because for me, I went through Marine Corps boot camp, nothing like what BUDS is, um, and I miss it all the time. I wish I could go back, wish I could go through all the training again. Is, do any part of you miss that at all and wish you could relive those memories?
9: I miss it so much, probably like you i miss I miss all of it. I miss the the camaraderie, the teamwork, um, my friends, the tribe, the community uh, I, you know I had some of the best individuals ever ever I think that i 'll ever work with, um, of course that i 'm still in touch with and, and still friends and, and helping today um, i think that 's the part you miss I do miss. The day-to-day, I miss working out as a group. Mm-hmm. I miss traveling. I mean, we traveled a ton to, you know, a lot of cool places to train. And, of course, um, you know, traveled to places like, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan mm-hmm. to go to war. But we also traveled to places like, you know, Germany and, and Switzerland and and, and uh, Italy and, 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 you know, got to enjoy kind of the world. And so I miss, I miss all of it.
3: You mentioned Iraq and Afghanistan. You first commissioned to seal Team 10, Lone Survivor, a known movie everyone knows. That you were part of the task force in that scene is everything that went down in that movie true? Because I know obviously Hollywood plays effect, but how true was that movie compared to the real life events?
9: Yeah, you know there was I, I'd say Hollywood had a lot a lot to do with that movie, um, and there was bits and pieces that they took and they you know I think they they did really well, and then there was other parts of the movie that. Um, we're nowhere near close to what was happening. I think at the end when they show the like the helicopter gunships coming in and mm-hmm. like shooting up the villages, like that you know that never happened. Um, but again, they got to make a movie because the idea of making a movie is making money, and so they want to make it as as exciting. But you know the storyline is is you know was almost a, as close as they can get. And you know uh, the other part, unfortunately, you know Mike Murphy, I, you know I went through buds with, and he was a close friend. Um, you know none of us really know is that exactly what happened you know, at that time. Mm -hmm. So, but it was, you know, they they try to get it as close as they can. I think Hollywood's done a very good job uh, bringing what's happened overseas uh, back here and trying to, you know, at least give the public uh, from a real good vantage point of like, hey, this is really what it was like, you know. And really, at the end of the day... the, the excitement is, is what people want to watch, but I think what they're doing a good job is trying to get people to feel inside, like, hey, this is really what, what guys and, and girls are going through overseas.
3: 13 years of combat experience, seven deployments, two combat deployments, two Bronze Stars with Valor, two joint Commendations with Valor, one Navy Comm with Valor, and selected to SEAL Team's Tier 1 unit, SEAL Team 6, the community's most highly regarded SEAL Team. After all those accolades accolades you've had what is the favorite part about the military for you whether it's traveling whether it's a deployment what was it for you
9: oh the favorite my favorite part of the military you know I never of course um never of course signed up for the money nobody nobody does that of course um I, I think again it was just being part of just a just an amazing unit that all individuals thought alike Um, everything we, you know, it was high accountability. We were a high performing team. So, um, you know, you wouldn't let each other get out of shape. Um, you, 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 you traveled together, you slept together, you, I mean, you did everything together, you know? And so, That was, I think, my favorite part was just being around individuals who were just like-minded and always competing. You know, it didn't matter. If you started eating well, like, everybody started eating well, you know, and if somebody kind of veered off and started eating crappy, get on that individual because, like, you're, you know, at the end of the day, you're all working together, not for the Super Bowl. Our Super Bowl was, like, taking out the number one, you know, ISIS fighter or Taliban fighter. Like, that was our Super Bowl. That's what we trained for. And so when we got to do that as a unit, as a team— you know, it felt like the big game, and, you know, we would celebrate after, and, and, you know, we we put music on before we went out, you know, just like you would for, uh, you know, as, as being an athlete. So. Uh,
1: you know, Marcus, wait, is my mic on? There we go. Um, I know that you and your wife have an organization that's committed to helping veterans you yeah. know, readjust and obviously some of the, the struggles that they have after their service. I was just wondering if you could speak to the mission of your organization and what kind of, you know, led to uh, its founding.
9: Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, and that's, really, and that's why we're here um when I left military service I thought life was just gonna be, you know, uh all honey and, and 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 it's gonna be uh just easy. It was the opposite. Um transitioning out of the military alone is hard enough. Transitioning out after I don't know, fifteen years of combat fifteen years of football and thirteen years of, of military as a breacher and, and everything else. Um, you know, it takes a toll on the mind and, and body. And uh, my body was okay, even though I had some some real lower back issues. Uh, my head, I thought was okay, but it really wasn't. And um, you know, I was going through a lot of um, just cognitive issues that, that I didn't have while I was serving. Started, you know, becoming very depressed, isolating. Um, cognitively, you know, my, my, my memory recollection wasn't good. I, I just didn't know understand what was going on. Then I started being very impulsive and angry and, outbursts and and, and, and uh, losing my way finding you know while I was driving, and just all these things started happening. And it kind of came to a tipping point. Um, all the Western medicine approaches wasn't helping. I'd been to all the brain clinics and the pharmaceuticals that, you know, the doctors like to prescribe you. I found healing outside the U.S., uh, something something that is, is on this new renaissance, which is psychedelic medicine. But it was psychedelic-assisted therapy. So it wasn't like just the drug. It's this whole program. They use the drug as like kind of a foundational tool, but it's all the work that goes into it that makes it successful. So what you can do in 10 to 15 or 20 years with talk therapy, you do in about a week with psychedelic medicine. Which is, you know, when you hear about that, it's hard for people to wrap their head around it. But done correctly with the proper prep work from the therapist. And then you do the medicine and you go on your journey. And in your journey, I mean, your your, your psychedelic experience, um, when, do, when done properly, but you, you're... Um, it's not a fun experience. You're actually doing very high doses of the medicine. So these aren't like what they call recreational doses, which, you know, a lot of people out there are listening to may have done. These are high doses. So, you know, there's a lot of puking involved and you're in bed and you do not want to, um, like you can't even walk, but you're actually revisiting a lot of your past traumas. If you're, if you're, if you have a lot of traumas that are affecting you mentally, like you're actually facing like your demons basically. And you face those demons and, it really, it's like lifting rocks out of the bag. You 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 just feel lighter. And when you're done, I mean, you guys know, and, and everybody listening knows, the only way to really deal with stuff is like to deal with it face you know face to face. And if you kind of hide it, you 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 it lingers with you forever. So that's what psychedelic medicine. You can't hide from it. It it forces you to face the demons. You know, guys who have addictions and all this stuff. You know, they they come out of these uh, journeys. Um, not addicted anymore to alcohol or opioids or, or heroin, whatever they're doing, um, because they actually saw the reason why they're addicted in the first place during these, these quote-unquote trips. And so, you know, psychedelic medicine is, is something that we, f- we believe in. Uh, VETS, our organization, after, after I went through my first treatment, um, my wife and I just said, we have to share. Like, the world needs to know about uh, the, the healing power of these medicines. Uh, we formed our nonprofit, VETS. Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. We're at vetsolutions.org. Um, we are. We have now funded over 450 combat veterans to go outside the U.S. and do the same exact treatment. And the 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 the, uh, the funding is somewhere between 3,500 and 5,000 dollars. So we've raised enough money to be able to cover these individuals, and you know we'll be able to help a lot more. Now we're working on advocacy work and passing laws and doing research with places like Stanford and in Ohio State and Johns Hopkins and so it's just phenomenal to see um, how individuals are healing and and you know why we're here I came here with Jake Plummer former quarterback um, and uh, Robert Gallery number two round draft pick behind Eli Manning and these two were phenomenal um, NFL players and when they set you know when they left the league they both started dealing with the exact same things that I was talking about what the veterans are dealing with and that's you know, high-performing veterans and high-performing athletes have this bond, you know, type A, and we're constantly, you know, we're, we're beating the shit out of ourselves. And when you stop, it's when all the issues happen. And so we all connected because we're all doing the same things. You know, Robert Gallery listened to me speak on Marcus Latrell's podcast. Marcus, I told you, Marcus and I are, are close friends, and, yes, that was that was my task unit. Um, Robert said, man, everything that you spoke about on that podcast is everything I was dealing with. And I just, I needed that. I needed whatever you, whatever helped you, I needed. Uh, and Jake Plummer went through the same thing. And so we got invited up here to, to really just, you know, we're, we're good friends now and just partner and talk about this. Like you mental health is not, it's, it's don't like, that's not sti- like it is, just, it's stigmatized, But it's not a thing that we shouldn't be afraid to talk about. And I remember growing up, I'm 45 now, and I remember, you know, my parents would whisper and say, oh, you know, their son is on Adderall or, you know, they're taking Ritalin or, you know, and it was like this secret of, you know, and that person was targeted and it was a bad person all of a sudden. But we got to... All those, all those kids that were on Ritalin now are running like multi-billion dollar companies, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, we just have to look at this a different way. And all we're doing is being vulnerable and saying, hey, I had some issues. I needed some help. I'm, I'm back. I'm good. Um, and I just want to spread the word and we want to help
2: more. So, Marcus, I actually, you know, as you were speaking, I put two and two together. And I'm realizing I've, I've heard you speak before. Um, I heard you speak on the Duncan Trussell uh, Family <laughs> Here Hour. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of him and his content. Oh, and, cool. Um, I guess just hearing what you just spoke about, um, you know, and how different substances have helped different people, you know, how important is it to have someone like that kind of demystifying these taboos that, you know, we kind of in the past just speak hush-hush under the table about?
9: We have to. And now are you talking about psychedelic medicines in general or just like mental health and like what, what kind just of
2: these? any – sort of treatment to mental health or just a substance that could help someone in the way that, you know, you you spoke about how that's, you know, it's at times to the average listener, maybe psychedelic treatment is a tough first, um, I guess thing to wrap your head around. It's,
9: it's completely tough because again, I think we all grew up, you know, just from what we've heard, um, and and a lot from the U S government, but you know, from others, Hey, you know, psychedelic medicines or you know, these are these are recreational drugs and, and people are using them at rays. And and by the way, that is all true. Like psychedelic medicines are being used recreationally and they are being used at concerts and for fun and things like that. Um, but everything can be abused and used in, in different ways. What we're talking about here is is not a recreational use of psychedelics. This is like a very high dose of like medical use psychedelics. And you know, I, I think they used to joke about the term of, like, cannabis and medical cannabis. No, it's still cannabis, right? Um, but, but psychedelic therapy is definitely, it is still utilizing the same drug. It's just utilized in a different way. So it's utilized along with um, with therapy, and that's why it's called psychedelic-assisted therapy. In combination, there's, there's literally nothing out there that works better, right? So the drug by itself will not work better. Therapy by itself will not work better when you combine the two um the 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 statistics are just unbelievable the research is 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 out there um right now um the MDMA just posted they, they just posted a phase 3 study on MDMA 70% success rate there's nothing out there for for PTSD there's nothing out there that comes even close uh, to that efficacy and so you know in the next couple of years you're going to see a lot of these medicines um Become legalized for medicinal use, and you know there's there's a, there's a group out there, a, a whole world out there of individuals trying to you know decriminalize this stuff. And unfortunately, number one, it's not my fight. Like I'm fighting to get make sure that individuals receive the mental health care treatment they need utilizing these substances. You know, I need to l- understand and learn more about the decriminalization of all this stuff. To me, um, you know, I don't know. You know, I just I don't I'm not sure yet that the U.S. is ready to walk in a retail store and just be able to buy a bag of, of whatever they want to go, to go run around. But um, again, it's not my fight. And so I I just want to stick to, you know, what I know and what we're trying to do.
1: Yeah. Marcus, you know, first off, we really appreciate you having you on and, you know, we don't want to keep you all day. Just to kind of like one last question to kind of wrap this all up. Um, What is just one thing that, you know, the average listener right now can do to just show gratitude to a veteran in their lives or someone they know, or maybe even get involved with your organization in some capacity how can we, as the average American, just help the veterans in our lives?
9: Yeah, um, just you know, again, be open, be ambassadors to what we're doing. Um, I always tell 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 everyone, you know, come to our website and just learn what we're doing. And, and you know, I feel like we're at the kind of tip of the spear for the rest of the industry. Uh, we are at vetsolutions.org. Um, of course, you can donate. We always need resources. You know, we we you know we live we live and die by donor dollars. Um, but then become become ambassadors, um, you know, throw dinners in your in your hometowns and invite people to learn and understand this stuff, and maybe we'll come out and, and chat and, you know, have a good time. Marcus,
3: last one before we let you go. Again, thank you for coming on. I've lost some of my best friends in the military to their demon, just like you mentioned. What advice do you have for people who are struggling coming out of the military but don't want to go seek help or talk to a therapist because of the stigma around it. What, what can you say to them to kind of give them that motivation to go get that help they need?
9: Please, like, please raise your hand and say, I need help. Like, we do that. Like, I, I do that. You know, I, I I worked at a very fast-paced, highly uh, trained operational unit, and guys that are just some of the best and brightest, those guys are raising their hands for help. Like, it's, it's not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength because if you get better, then your family gets better, your business partners get better, um, their kids get better, your kids get better. And and because now you're healed, you can go heal thousands more. So how can that be a bad thing? Right now, now you just became a position of power. And so I just tell everyone, this is not a sign of weakness. No one is ever going to tell you that you're soft and suck it up. And you know what? The ones that do that, just push those individuals out of your life because there's there's 50 or 100 more that's going to welcome you, open arms, and say, yep, we got you. We'll help you.
3: I love that. Thank you so much, Marcus Capone, member of SEAL Team 6. We really appreciate you coming on. It was a great talk to you. Yeah,
1: thanks thank so, you much, so much, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, it. thank you. Well, that was Marcus Capone, SEAL Team 6, joining us on the program. We really appreciate having him on today. Really great to hear his story. And you know what? We're here to talk sports. And, you know, kind of get the idea about the Super Bowl. And obviously, look, we, I think we oftentimes we get caught up in the idea that, hey, we're very focused on our team, the Jets, the Mets, the Knicks, whatever you're, you're focused on. And I think sometimes, whether it's sports, whether it's anything, you can kind of get wrapped up and lose sight of what's really important in our lives. So, you know, I think it was great to kind of have – we got some great guests today, and I really appreciate having them all on. But, you know, I think it was really great to have Marcus on to kind of help recenter us and realize that despite the glitz and glamour of the NFL, the Super Bowl we have going on right here, what matters is the people in our lives, and we got to give thanks to the veterans in our lives too, because they've sacrificed so much in the defense of freedom and the defense of this country. So, you know, props to the, you know, just props to Marcus for coming on. We're talking about some serious topics, and we really enjoy hearing from him. And uh, you know, Nick is now sat Absolutely. back down with us. And yes, I'm back get here. Back
0: well, I had to. I had to get a chance to catch up with Greg Cosell, NFL Films, the guy who's going to have. Such great insight for us on, on this Super Bowl, the Rams and the Bengals coming up on Sunday. Greg, appreciate you taking some time. How are you today? I'm doing, How
5: are doing? great. How are you guys doing?
0: We're good. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, curious, just, you know, I, I know that you're a guy who's really good with the film study, breaking things down. What do you see ahead of this matchup between the Rams and the Bengals?
5: That's a very open-ended question. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I wanted to, to, give you, to give you the
0: floor. What are you seeing?
5: Um, well, you know, I think. I think one of the main things to look for in this game is what tactics the Bengals deploy to compensate and camouflage the fact that they have an offensive line weakness. Mm -hmm. We know it's no mystery to anyone. It's not a scoop. So the question becomes, how do they deal with that? Um, My sense is they're going to want to see this game as a four-quarter game uh, where the tactics that they deploy early – can build and work over time. And by that I mean they're going to need to run the ball. So the question is what kind of runs? What kind of runs will best accomplish what they want to get done and will marry best with their passing game to minimize pass rush? And I think they'll start with outside zone because what outside zone does is it gets a defensive line moving laterally and then put Burrow under center and go with the play-action pass game off outside zone Because when the D-line moves laterally, they're not rushing the quarterback initially. So all that tough stuff takes time to percolate. They were able to do that in the AFC Championship game. A large reason they were able to do that was also because of the fact that the Chiefs didn't really score in the second half. So they were able to stay with the run game and make it a four-quarter slash overtime game. Um, So I think there's other things I think you'll see from the Bengals to try to... Uh, compensate for their all-line, you'll see the screen game. You'll see the boot-action pass game. Um, You know, so will these things work? Only the game will tell, but those are – I'll be looking for for those kinds of things because obviously by choice they can't have Joe Burrow drop back 45 times because you can't live on quick game throws. You can't live on three-step drop throws.
0: A lot of focus on the offense for the Bengals and how good that Joe Burrow has been along with Jamar Chase and the impact – that he has made in year one. I'm curious what you see from Cincinnati's defense, though, a masterful masterful performance in that second half to shut down the Kansas City Chiefs' offense. And as good as Patrick Mahomes has been, there was nothing to speak of in that second half. What do you see from them?
5: Yeah, they made some adjustments in the second half, and I was surprised, to be honest with you, that it impacted the Chiefs as much as it did. But what they did in the first half, they played almost all zone, and they played uh, with, with two split safeties. They came out in the third quarter, and they played more man, and they dropped Von Bell down in what we call a robber position, where he was about 12 yards from the line of scrimmage right in the middle, and um, they did that because the Chiefs has some staple route concepts that that particular coverage does a good job of taking away, and then at times they rushed three, and they dropped an eighth defender into coverage. Um... I think you'll see the robbers somewhat in this game against the Rams. Uh, They won't do it as much because the Rams will obviously have seen all that and will be better prepared for it. But it does work against the Rams because the Rams are really good at running what we call high-low concepts, Uh, and that high concept usually breaks right into the middle where Von Bell would be if he's the robber. Um, I think... Putting pressure on Stafford's really important. They're not a high-percentage blitz team. They're a selective blitz team, but they've got some really nice concepts. Logan Wilson is a really intriguing player for them, the linebacker. And Sam Hubbard's interesting because Hubbard's a DN, but they stand him up at times behind the line of scrimmage, and they use him on different stunt concepts. So uh, they're going to need to get pressure on Stafford, uh, and you know I think there's ways for them to do that
0: talking with Greg Cosell from NFL Films. I want to flip the script here, go to the Rams' perspective of things. How impressed have you been with what Matthew Stafford has been able to accomplish in year one with Sean McVay and the way that they have married what is his strength and also what Sean McVay wants to run on offense?
5: Yeah, well, <clears throat> Stafford's been a great player for a long time. Um, he's an elite thrower of the football um, they've been able to, McVay McVeigh wanted Stafford because he can do more with his offense with Stafford than he could with Goff. And what they've done a lot of is they've. No team has been in empty sets more than the Rams this year. Because Stafford can can run the drop back passing game. Goff was not. That was not Goff's strength. Goff needed the play action pass game. Stafford gives you the drop back pass game, so they were an empty far more. Plus, Stafford can work the entire field much better than Goff can. So I'm not the least bit surprised at what Stafford's done. Stafford's been a, a really good quarterback for a long time. You talk to any coach in the NFL, and Stafford is thought of extremely highly. You know, people just say, oh, well, he's never won a playoff game. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't speak to what the individual traits are. He's a high-level traits quarterback.
1: You know, Greg, just to shift away from the Super Bowl for a second, obviously you're connected in a strong way to two very significant NFL media personalities. The first being, obviously, you're the nephew of the late Howard Cosell, the all-time, one of the greatest announcers in sports history, even going beyond football. You think about boxing, et cetera. And then, obviously, you knew Steve Sable, the great NFL Films president, who so much of what the Super Bowl is nowadays, so much of the history of the NFL was captured by him, I don't think any of us would look at the NFL the same way if it wasn't for Steve. So those are two guys who really shaped the game of football into what it is today, I think, from a media point of view. I was just wondering, having known both of them, is there a story, maybe just one of them or Ah. both of them, whatever, that you could share? Nothing, I don't know, too crazy, but just, like, I don't know, something that would be interesting for us to hear as someone who knew them both so personally.
5: Well, you know, my uncle, it was a little different just because when he was big, I was, you know, it was in the 70s. I was in high school and college. So I didn't spend a lot of time with him at that point. Mm -hmm. Steve, is, he, Steve was really my mentor. Um, in 1984, Steve basically came to me. I'd been at NFL Films for five years because i just finished my 42nd season at Films. Steve came to me in um, the summer of 84, spring or summer of 84, and basically said, you know, because you have to remember what the world was like then. ESPN had only been in existence yeah. for five years. And they, you know, they weren't a big-time sporting company yet, you know, as far as TV, and he said, you know, hey, I think I might have an idea, and uh, you're the guy, you know, I'm just going to tell you the idea, and, and it's it's all on you, <laughs> and it was the idea of a matchup show, and he basically handed it off to me, and at that point, you know, that was 1984, you know, we basically created the NFL matchup show, and we were the first to deal with X and O football, we, we've been on every single year since. You know, this is now 2022 coming up. So I've been, you know, I was the producer on that show until five years ago. And now I'm, I'm on the show as, as an analyst. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember Peter King telling me when I saw him at Eagles training camp a few years ago, right before the pandemic. He said, you know, do you realize that if it wasn't for you, you, you basically created a whole genre of, of how to talk about football. And I just said, Peter, I don't really think of it that way, but it's nice of you to say. But, I mean, basically, you know, with the matchup show, that's what we did. Because back then, people said, "There's no, no one cares about football like that. And we just we were able to do a lot of trial and error, mess around a lot, probably make a lot of mistakes. I'm sure we did. Probably do a lot of shows that, if I look back now, I would think were awful. But, you know, we persevered, and, uh, and here we are.
1: Question that I, it's kind of a personal question, but like one of the shows on, on NFL Network that I've always really enjoyed, that's really enlightening to me, is the NFL Top Ten Show, the hour-long show that you guys do, where you do like right. top ten, uh, you know, comebacks or like top ten, you know, I don't know, snake bitten franchises. One I always remember as a Jet fan, I remember the Jets being on <laughs> the list, obviously. Um, and you've obviously contributed on the segments where they do the little interview the pieces, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering. Uh, for someone like me, who's, you know, obviously, like, 22, I'm younger, like, so much of what I learned about the—I love the history of the NFL, and so much of what I learned is through that show. Like, I learned about, like, the ice bowl in that game or learning about guys like Johnny Unitas or stuff like that because, like, obviously, I wasn't alive for them, and I'm too lazy to read a book, but I'll watch right, right. I'll watch the show, and I hear about all these great guys like Sonny Jurgensen or Sammy Ball or stuff like that, like— you were with NFL Films when the show was created. You've been on the show. Like, what was kind of the – I know this is, like, a niche question, but I'm just so curious. What was kind of the inspiration behind that program, and, you know, what what do you enjoy well, about
5: it? I think the inspiration, quite honestly, is, <laughs> is nothing amazing. I yeah. think the inspiration is that people like lists.
1: Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> you
5: come up with different ideas for lists. It's just like – I do a ton of draft work and all people want to know is how do you rank guys? Because yeah. people want, you know, who's your, who's first, who's second, who's third. People yeah. like lists. So you play off the idea of people liking lists and you do that. And it's, that's what it is.
1: Do you have a favorite list that you've done? Do you remember? Any oh, shows? God.
5: <laughs> because what they do with me and obviously the pandemic changed everything, but what they would get me, they'd. They would literally, I would do the interview for two hours, and they'd ask me <laughs> questions on, you know, 15 different shows. Yeah. So I, I can't even remember that. <laughs> well, and then some things yeah. I remember well and, and felt really comfortable talking about. And then other things I would have to say, I really don't remember that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, but no, it's it's people like lists. I,
1: I mean, I like lists. I love the show. That's, so that's the way it works. Stuff. <laughs> people, people
5: love lists. Talking with Greg
0: Cosell of NFL Films, I'm going to ask him who the number one pick in the draft is going to be.
5: No, No, he hasn't gotten that yet. Well, Uh, I've 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 seen I've watched four quarterbacks and five wideouts so far, but that's what do you like out of quarterback class though? And and I've watched a lot of these guys from previous years as well, you know, because a lot of times in the summer, believe it or not, during my vacation, because I normally (laughs) don't go anywhere, I'll just go in and watch guys, you know, who are who are going to come out the next year, yeah, you know, so I'll watch their their tape from the year before. Um, I think that. To me, the top quarterback in the draft is Kenny Pickett. I think yeah. he's going to be the, the first quarterback chosen. Where that is, I couldn't tell you, but I think he's the best quarterback prospect in this draft class. But, you know, different teams have different priorities. Yeah. I mean, if you'd spoke to any team, you know, any quarterback evaluator, they would probably all list the same traits. The question is, what value do they ascribe to those traits? Mm-hmm. And different... Coaches, different evaluators, might ascribe different values. So someone could say, oh, I like this guy better because I I like trait A and C, whereas another guy says, oh, I like this guy better because I like trait D and E. You know, so it's – and you have to remember, when coaches get involved, coaches think about how a quarterback fits into their offense, So while they're looking at general traits, because they obviously want guys with higher level traits than not, but they still think of how a guy fits into his offense, so it becomes scheme adaptability as well as just traits.
1: We mentioned the quarterbacks. There was a report, I think it was last week or something like that, from a bunch of anonymous NFL scouts saying something along the lines that they don't think, I don't know who these scouts were obviously, but they don't think that there's any real quality starting quarterbacks in this draft class. Do you, I mean, I'm guessing, do well, you I'm think not, Pickett's going to go the first round? You I, don't think feel Pickett, that way. I
5: think Pickett's a quality starting quarterback okay. in the NFL. Um, you know, then it comes down to team. And there's so many variables that involve team. Then it comes down to how he's coached. Um, I can tell you for a fact, he's wired Right. I, I spoke to people who interviewed him at the, at the senior ball, and they said the kid is just phenomenal. So, I mean, Pickett will be a starter in the league. You know, no one can sit here and say right now, well, will he be a top-five player? No one knows that because there's too many variables. Yeah. But he'll be a starting quarterback in the NFL.
0: We're talking about rookies coming out and the quarterback class and all of that stuff.
5: Curious what you see from
0: the quarterbacks that are currently in the AFC in particular. I mean, you got so many good ones. Yep. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, who's made his way to a Super Bowl. Is there somebody in the AFC that, when watching the film, really impressed you this season more so than maybe they're given credit for in the media?
5: Oh, I have to think of the AFC teams now. <laughs> because you obviously mentioned, you know, you mentioned the obvious guys. Um, I'm trying to think of the teams. Who's in the AFC? <laughs> um yeah, well, we'll stick with you, with your name since I can't go through all the teams in my head this quickly <laughs> right now. Um, you know, Josh Allen's a fascinating case study because Josh Allen, and I actually do the Colin Coward show, and I remember doing the Coward show when Josh Allen still had a year remaining in Wyoming, and we talked about Josh Allen. And I had told Colin that he's a guy to watch. And, you know, Josh came into the league as a kind of a wild stallion. Josh is 6'5", 240. Um, He was obviously, he struggled with ball placement. Um, He was all over the place. But there was something there. And I've I've been around Josh Allen. He is a big dude. I've I've stood right next to him when he's thrown it. It comes out of his hand differently. Um, And he's a fascinating test case because his ball placement has dramatically improved. And most people would say you can't improve like that that guys who are not necessarily accurate don't become accurate. Um, but he's improved dramatically, and he's a little bit of a freak because of his size, his movement, the arm. I mean, his arm is ridiculous, uh, but yet he can throw with some touch now. So he, he to me, I mean, I, I said last summer, and I said he's the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL, and I said that's different from saying the best, although he may be working toward that. But I said last summer he was the most physically gifted quarterback in the league, and he is.
1: Well, it's funny that you say that because last night we were actually getting into a bit of debate about if Josh Allen was more gifted than Patrick Mahomes, which Nick and I were saying, and we were having a debate with some other people. But I think, Jack, you had a question. Right?
2: Yeah, this, this may be a tad bit selfish, but I'm just curious what oh, you gosh. think Mac Jones ceiling is. You know, he showed a lot of progress as a rookie, um, but I think there are questions about what his potential really is.
5: You know, what, what do you see out of him in a few years from now? Well, Mac Jones will never be Josh Allen or Patrick Absolutely. Mahomes or Justin Herbert. He's just not gifted enough. So Mac Jones, Mac Jones has some really good traits, though. Um, Mac Jones is really good in the pocket. Has a really good feel for the pocket. Um, he's a lot better with people around him than, than some might think because he doesn't have to stride to throw it. He's very compact in his delivery, so he can make throws with people around him. He's very very accurate. Um he's got a, a really refined sense of timing and anticipation. Um he's Mac Jones is your classic executor and ball distributor. That's what he is. So I think Mac Jones can be a really good quarterback. He you know, again what that means, you know, I don't deal in numbers, you know, whether is, is Mac Jones gonna throw forty five touchdowns. Sure he could. I mean I guarantee that, you know, early in Tom Brady's career and I'm not comparing him to Brady, I'm just you know Making the point that early in Brady's career, you know, I, I doubt anyone thought that from a, a, a statistical standpoint he would do what he did in his career. Um, so much of Mac Jones, you know, depends on other things. At this point, you know, it's it's he his talent level. You know, talents is a relative term because. You know, physical gifts like obviously Josh Allen you know we can all see he's big, he, he's got a hose, he can run you know you wouldn't you're not going to say that about Mac Jones, but that doesn't mean he can't be a good quarterback. So there's there's you know there's different ways to talk about good quarterbacks. I think Mac Jones will be a good player. you know will he make the plays individually that win games by himself? That remains to be seen. Tom Brady did and he did it without being able to run around. You know, normally quarterbacks like Mac Jones, they have to be great before the ball snapped. They have to win the down before the ball is snapped, because if the structure of the play does not work, he's not going to make something happen. So those guys win, like Brady. Brady Brady wins before the ball snapped. You know. Are there plays in games where he doesn't? Of course. So he throws it away. He doesn't get sacked very much, but he throws it away. But those guys have to win before the ball snapped.
1: Greg, we already talked about Josh Allen. We talked about Mac Jones. As a Jet fan, I would just really appreciate whether it's quick. I don't care. Oh, boy. we got to go around the table with the AFC East quarterbacks.
5: You want to talk about Zach Wilson? I
1: do want to talk about Zach Wilson. Whatever you want <laughs> to say, I'm all possible, ears. I don't, you, I don't care how much you have to say. Just your thoughts on Zach Wilson, ever short or long as it needs to be.
5: Yeah, Zach Wilson's got a lot of talent. I mean, he's got a loose, live arm. He's got light feet. He's athletic. Um I don't think he yet sees things very well. I don't think yet he understands what kinds of throws to make that are demanded on, on a given throw. Um, he throws everything a hundred miles an hour. Um, you know, he's a little bit of a trick shot artist. You know, I think he's got to kind of settle down, see things, play within structure, play within rhythm. Um, So I think he's got a ways to go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whether he gets there remains to be seen. As you guys know, just if you're history buffs in the NFL, (laughs) you know, when five quarterbacks are drafted in the top 15, not all five become stars. Yep. Um,
1: As a Jeff fan, I know that really well.
5: Yeah. um, (laughs) So, you know, Wilson's got, like I said, if you made a list of just traits, physical traits, Wilson's got a lot of them. But that's not purely enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and and he's, he's got a ways to go. I mean, there were, there were a few moments later in the season where I thought, okay, this is a better performance. And then the next week, it looked like he was back being yeah. kind of, you know, an, you know, back in his wild stallion, you know, mm-hmm. days, as, as I mentioned with Josh Allen early in his career. But Zach Wilson has a little of that. Um, I'm never a believer in calling a quarterback a bust after one season. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. The NFL's really hard. It's really hard for quarterbacks. Um, you know, he's just going to have to kind of evolve his game so that it fits the NFL. the The NFL game, it's not. He's got to play within structure and he, and all the trick shot throws that look cool at BYU. You know, that's that doesn't make for a great NFL quarterback. Yeah.
0: Greg Cosell, longtime member at NFL Films. We appreciate you taking some time
5: with us here on Radio Row. No problem, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Greg.
0: That was awesome. It was great. That was a tough, Fantastic. tough uh, evaluation of Zach Wilson.
5: Though, no, I thought much. that was great. I,
1: <laughs> th- I thought it was very <laughs> insightful. I appreciate I want, I want honesty.
0: That's what the tape shows. Greg's right, 100% right. But, you know, it's what I've been saying. So I'm glad that, you know.
1: I don't, somebody, like I don't feel like I've. But I don't feel like I've necessarily been saying the opposite of that, though. I don't think I've said anything crazy. Like, I don't no, think I've, you haven't
0: been crazy. I, I like the way that he put Mac
1: Jones in his place too. Was good. <laughs> that was that I appreciated. And uh, Jack is like throwing back on the headset because he has to <laughs> like you know player, defend right?
5: it. He's one of those guys that's hard to say what he becomes because he won't become more talented. So he has to be, just become better at what his traits are, and then if he has enough team around him, is he, you know can he be that guy? There's no saying he can He's just not going to be, from a talent standpoint, you're not going to see him do what Josh Allen does yeah. or Patrick Mahomes does. You know, you're not going to see that. Um, That's fair.
1: To me, it sounds like we won that argument from earlier. Yeah, I think it
5: does. <laughs> you know, he had a good year, but toward the end of the year, he struggled a little bit.
1: Oh, who said that about an hour ago? <laughs> I
5: think that was me. I didn't disagree with he that. I mean, uh, the there was the a, a little disagreement
0: in that, but uh, yeah, appreciate I appreciate mean, that. But, you know,
5: for a rookie quarterback who only started 17 games in college, um, he, um, he had a pretty good rookie season. Yeah. I mean, the guy started 17 games in Alabama. Yeah. So, That's a fair evaluation. So, you know, he did a little better than I thought he would. You know, I – so we'll see. I mean, look, he's he's, he's with a great coaching staff, although I'm hearing, and I don't know if this will end up being true, that they're not going to hire an offensive coordinator. Really?
1: Not Adam Gase? They're not bringing him in?
5: I mean, (laughs) they could change all that. I mean, I'm hearing that – Joe Judge will be involved in a lot of the offensive that, stuff. That
1: should terrify you.
5: Well, you, no, you shouldn't say that because you don't know the answer to no,
1: that. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No.
5: Yeah, you don't know I the like, answer. I like to the that. bus chops. Um, you know, and, and Belichick, who was always involved. Can you put the headset back on so <laughs> yeah, can I mean,
1: he, he's leaving. No,
5: I'm not. We're not oh, yeah. talking yeah, for, we're, for we're, the air now.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're just. Yeah.
5: Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it works, but I mean. You know, Belichick's always been involved in their offense, even when Brady was there. So we'll see. But uh, but Mac Jones, he'll, Mac Jones will not be a bad player. The, the, the level of goodness, that remains to be seen. But he will not be a bad NFL quarterback.
1: Well, thank you very much, Greg. We appreciate no it. No problem. Thank
5: you for stopping by.
0: All right. Here is one-on-one rolls on from Radio Row here at the convention center in los angeles always a great evaluation guy who knows so much about the game and looks at as much film as anybody in the business i mean he he watches as much as any coach you'll find in the nfl
1: well and i hope really i hope our get i hope his, our uh, listeners slash watchers whoever they are right now i hope i know greg took his headset off he did say some more good stuff after that so hopefully i mean it was well, we caught it we got we, that. we got it yeah, all yeah, right good excellent excellent all right um but yeah look i think
0: really but see i, I we got to hit the hit on this you know quickly what do no, we had no, the professional agree no, with us no offensive coordinator for the Patriots? that That's yeah good. hey Joe I, Judge he has
1: that i mean I know, wow. Greg, look, Greg knows way, about a billion times more than I do. So, so he says, to me,
0: the, the first question that I ask if Joe Judges is, is going to be running the offense here. How does Mac Jones QB sneak? Uh,
2: excellent
1: point. Excellent point. <laughs> Are we doing that on the uh, on the uh, inside their own tent? Are we doing uh, a little quarter, quarterback does, sneak? How does his
2: quarterback sneak? I, we hope he knew I hope he knew that this was a live stream. I, I hope so.
1: I don't know. So we have breaking news here I have, I, I, at 7 on a mic that was not on the head. Uh, yeah. We're re- revealing that the Patriots not are not sure. hiring an
2: offensive coordinator. Yeah, well, I mean, well got to turn the mic. I mean, that was who good knows? stuff. Hey, look, yeah.
1: we, between that and uh, Doug Freeman telling us he was going to come to us with breaking yeah, major had, news, really,
0: you know, we've had some excellent to guests today. Hundred yeah, percent. I with I, you.
1: I think I have to say, you know, obviously, look, I, I think. You know, I, 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 I have to be honest, I've been blown away by our guests today. I think we've had some excellent, excellent guests. Um I mean I obviously look we 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 researched them, we knew about them beforehand. Uh, obviously a lot of these are impromptu guests too. So I think we all expected good things, but I honestly I have to be honest, even though I had high expectations, I think a lot of them have like gone above and beyond. I've been very happy with the interviews. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean Greg was awesome, just to, to get his perspective on everything was was outstanding and His insights on the quarterbacks and the game, too. I mean, I thought that was was awesome. I I think he's 100% right in just how are the Bengals going to attack this Rams defensive line. You know, we, we knew that that was going to be the matchup coming in, but what are the X's and O's that are going to go into, you know, Cincinnati knowing that they're undermanned up front on the offensive line trying to combat a really good pass rush of Aaron Donald and Von Miller up front for the Rams. That's going to be the outside zone, the play action off of it to try and get them moving laterally and not really getting up the field and trying to mitigate some of that really excellent pass rush that the Rams can throw at you. So it's a fascinating conversation and was really glad that we were able to have it with Greg.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Greg gave some great insight into the Super Bowl matchup. I think we got some great insight into the the matchups from, I think Marcus McNeil and Nick Mangle had some good insights yeah. about, you know, put offensive line play versus the defensive pass rush, you know. I think, and I got to say, what I really appreciated about Greg was, look, he knows so much about the game, and obviously, look, he was telling us a little bit about the quarterback class incoming. I appreciated all of his thoughts on all the quarterbacks that we feel are relevant to us personally. Um, Yeah, great stuff. I think his evaluation of Zach Wilson. I mean, you know, I think it's always – You can't be happy with that. No, but, like, if you – but, like, (laughs) I don't – I mean, Nick, be the objective third party here. Like, have I said anything that was that wildly different than what Greg said?
0: No, I think you were a
1: little bit more – uh, optimistic, optimistic, maybe, but I don't like. I Zach think my I think, than, my, than I, think I think my tone was more optimistic. But essentially, what Greg was saying was he's got a lot of a high, he's got a high ceiling, a lot of talent, and it's but can he capitalize on that? Well, and I, I, I mean, think
0: called him a trick shot artist. That I mean, like dumb.
1: that's like that's like a slight, but like at the end of the day, I don't really feel that <laughs> if anyone should be like feel like that their opinion was squashed. I think it's the guy saying. Yeah, oh, I like, was yeah, upset yeah, yeah, about yeah, that. Because yeah. however,
2: however, <laughs> however, listen, we're, I'm whatever he just said. You could have. Taken out Zach Wilson and replaced that with Sam Darnold, and the what? narrative would not have changed. Oh, wow. Wait, wait. What, I don't understand. Wait, I'm just I don't, saying. What, uh, the story goes on saying? and on and on. Wait, are
1: you saying that his evaluation of Sam Darnold is the same? Are you saying if we evaluated Sam Darnold after year one with Greg, he would have said the same thing? Is yes. that what you're saying? Why? Okay, I mean, I don't think Sam Darnold was ever a trick shot artist with high athletic All ability. All right, maybe
2: with that, with the exception I mean, of that comment. I don't no, think Sam Darnold just wasn't good.
1: Sam Darnold just, yeah. I mean, look, it took me a long time yeah. to realize that, but he's flat out bad. I mean, I don't really think, and I don't, I don't think him and Zach Wilson. Look, Zach Wilson can also very much be a bust, but I don't think Zach he probably Wilson. Probably will be. What I mean, whatever. I, again, I don't want to get in the weeds. I'm trying to be positive. This is a happy trip. It's like 80 degrees outside. I'm thrilled to be out here. I just don't think. Look, they could. Every jet quarterback is. I mean. Every jet quarterback since Joe Namath, and you want to do the stupid Hall of Fame debate. That's fine. The simple fact is he won the Super Bowl. Every quarterback drafted since has been a quote unquote bust because they never won the Super Bowl. So I mean, is it possible that you know Zach Wilson's going to be a bust too? Yeah, sure. But you know, I don't. I think to compare Zach to Sam Darnold is like absurd. I just don't think they're at all the same quarterback. I don't find. Them, I don't think they have really any similarities. I think the biggest difference between the two of them, which gives me more hope for Zach, is that I found Darnold was very reserved, and I thought he was very professional, but he was not a rah-rah team leader, which is what you need from a quarterback when you look at, like, a Tom Brady or, uh, I mean, I don't know who else we want to talk about. I mean, I think Josh Allen does it to a, to a degree. Just like the, the field general, the guy that's going up and down the sidelines saying, hey, like, we got this, and I think Zach Wilson, whether or not he's, you know, going to capitalize on his talent is one thing, but I think his mentality and his personality, I mean, you hear it, and obviously, unfortunately, we don't have any of these guests on our show, but Michael Carter, Jets running back, was out here this week. He did a spot with Good Morning Football, uh, Jets running, rookie running back, who also had a great season. Um, well, I mean, also had a great season. There were some Jets rookies. I mean, everyone was talking about Zach Wilson. Some really good Jets rookies this year. That's besides the point. The point is, any a lot of Jets players in that locker room speak very highly of Zach's leadership ability. So putting his talent and the potential, you know, can he be a great quarterback aside, I like I like where his head is on his shoulders. He was a captain in year one, uh, which Max Jones was not. Uh, so... <laughs>
0: We're getting into captains now. I, I I'm just busting right. chops. I'm okay. sorry. Well.
1: I mean, Jack. Well. I mean, it's it's sports. I mean, you're, we're busting your chops all day. Trust me. I'm busting your chops all day, and I'm not making any apologies about it. I hate the Patriots. I hate. I don't. I hate Bill Belichick. Mac Jones. I don't know long enough to hate him. He hasn't done anything to me yet. But you know, if, if Zach Wilson That's, didn't have the worst game of his season, we could have probably won that first matchup this year. But hasn't, do?
0: hasn't done anything yet. Just about a half an hour left here on one on one from Radio Row, the Los Angeles. Convention Center in the shadow of Crypto.com Arena here yes. in downtown L.A. So happy you could stick with us throughout this afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll be back Saturday as our coverage continues here from Los Angeles over Super Bowl week. Nick DeLuca, Mike Leegan, Jack Roach, and Mike Messina here with you. And, guys, maybe we want to get back to some of the Super Bowl talk here and just Getting through some previews of the game and and what we're expecting, we touched on that a little bit. as you know we, we've strayed with AFC East and, and all of the things that are, are happening in the AFC. But just in looking at, at this matchup, and we hit on this at the beginning of the show, you know, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to? And we talked about a, a couple of matchups, but we didn't really talk about was some of the coaching aspect of it and you know zach taylor getting another opportunity to coach here in year three with the Bengals, and it paying out wildly with, with the way that there was some calling for his job after the first couple of years and sean mcveigh a guy who by all accounts has been outstanding in los angeles with the rams and was able to get jared goff to a super bowl now he gets As Greg mentioned when he was with us, a a quarterback who he feels like is more capable of running the offense the way that he wants to run it. Two guys that really know each other very well. You've got Andrew Whitworth, the former longtime Cincinnati Bengal, making his way out to L.A. and getting a chance to play against the Bengals in in all of those storylines as well. Just the connections between these two teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think with the NFL, we're in Hollywood, and I think what happens with the Super Bowl is you get these Hollywood-type storylines, these, like, you know, sports is, the reason why there's so many sports movies is because oftentimes sports is cinematic, and I think the Super Bowl is a a perfect example of that. I mean, look at Super Bowl history, there have been always these great storylines in the matchups where you want to talk about, you know, uh, a few, like, years ago when we had the Harborough brothers going up against each other, or you would talk about, you know, Uh, Peyton Manning finally getting to the Super Bowl and winning the big one against the Bears, you know, just, or the Eli Brady rematch, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's always a great storyline. Um, I would say for me, something that I'm really interested in storyline wise, and Nick kind of already touched on it, is just this idea that Zach Taylor, look, the reason he got the Bengals head coaching job to begin with is because he was the quarterback's coach for Sean McVay. He was the, the pupil. And now the, uh, as, as Darth Vader said to Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, so when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. I know I'm going to nerd out on you people, but I don't really care. The point is, I'm kind of interested to see on that dynamic. And, you know, also what I'm interested to, to, to think about is this. Think back to that Super Bowl a few years ago, 2018 season, the Patriots versus the Rams. Sean McVay, by all accounts, did not have a good coaching job yeah. that day. Now, look, Jared Goff was terrible in that game. I think a lot of the, the failures offensively, I mean, he hits Brandon Cooks in the end zone, and the Rams win that game. So I think you know I'm not going to blame it all the loss all on Sean McVay. But my question is, look, the guy he was he's still like one of if not the youngest head coach in the league. Still the youngest. Still yeah. the youngest. Um, you know, can he has he learned from that experience? Can he? I mean, he didn't have a good. He he had some blunders in the playoffs. He didn't coach very well against the 49ers with the whole challenge situation. And I yeah, don't know.
0: I, that's that was the interesting thing for me, and that's where I was going to go with what you're talking about. And I don't know, maybe it's just a Kyle Shanahan thing, a guy who he really has not had almost yeah, it's any like, success. In. That was, I mean, that was, that the, was first the first time, time I ever beat him. First time he beat him. But I, I'm just fascinated by this Sean McVay and big games thing because, you know, He's the new Andy Reid. a lot of times we talk about players handling the moment and handling the, the big-time game and the quarterback, if he looked nervous, or, you know, this wide receiver wasn't ready to make that play or, or make that catch. But Sean McVay, like... I, you, you 100% hit on it. Like I thought he got out-coached, and he just looked like he was out of control. Like Some of the challenges, the, the, yeah. the second challenge yeah. that he threw mm-hmm. down was ridiculous. Yeah. It was like, there is poor, absolutely poor magi- there time is, there is no chance that you are ever winning this challenge. I see that sitting on my couch in New York. Yeah, Why I saw can't it. you see yeah. that? You're on the sideline. That that video board at SoFi is pretty darn good. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it gives you a pretty good yeah. you know image of that. So uh, it's just... All, all of these things, and another storyline there, can Zach Taylor get into his mind a little bit and, well, and really with, with fluster Zach him? With Zach Taylor, I'm I mean, just,
1: I'm curious. this is a guy in Zach Taylor. I mean, there were rumors this guy was on the hot seat that he yeah. was going to get fired. And then, you know, the Bengals come out this year. They win the division. They make the playoffs. They have these miraculous, you know, underdog wins against the Titans and the Chiefs. I, I don't think... A lot of people weren't really liking them in the Titans game, and then I don't think anyone really saw what happened in the no. Chiefs game, especially after the way that game started with you know the offensive positions. It was looking like, what was it, 21-3 to 3, it was going to be another blowout. So, I mean, look, I, I, I'm wondering what we're going to see with Zach Taylor. I mean, maybe that gives McVay, I'm not going to say an advantage, but maybe it helps calm him down a little bit. The idea that, hey, I'm not going up against Belichick in the Super Bowl. It's a guy who actually coached for me a first time. You know, I'm just really wondering, can he learn from that experience the first go around? I mean, my other question is this: What about Matthew Stafford? I mean, he—you mentioned there's always the emphasis on the player in the big game. Going back to that player in the big game, Matthew Stafford, a guy who spent his entire career with the Lions, never had a chance to play in a big game. Really, he made the playoffs, you know, once. It wasn't really that great. You know, he's back now with the Rams. I don't. I mean, look, I think he played well against the Buccaneers. Obviously, they, he led that that, that victory in um, overtime. They had the, you know, the was it a, wait it was fourth quarter overtime. It was a fourth fourth quarter. It was fourth it was, quarter. A, it was yeah, yeah. Expired. There were so, ma- there was so many. There were so many. There were so many overtime fourth quarter games in the playoffs. I forgot which was which. But well, the point is, you know, Stafford. I I haven't been like blown away by the way that he's played. I don't think he had an amazing game against the 49ers. I'm just curious, now that he's finally in the big game, is there going to be pressure on his shoulders? And can he? Well, there is going to be. And the question is, can he handle that pressure? Because for so long, the narrative always was, Matthew Stafford is so talented. He just needs to get out of Detroit and get to a competent team. Well, you know what? He's out of Detroit. He's got tons of playmakers around him. And now the question is, can he finally seal the deal? I personally, if I had to pick two of these quarterbacks, I get he's only in year two. got to go with Joe Burrow in this game. I, I And I get, look, Stafford has had more success over a longer period of time. He's a seasoned veteran. I'm sorry, Joe Burrow. Everyone jokes, you know the the memes and everything. The guy does have ice in his veins. I mean, this is a guy who's been, he's been ready for this moment since college. Yeah. You think about the national championship game; he is an ice cold killer. Um, and, I, I, and I, and I, look, I'm going out on a limb. I honestly don't really, see, and I, I know I, I jinx everything, so this is not going to happen. But I just don't really see him being phased by the moment. I just, don't I, he seems built differently. He's the type of guy. Talk about, a, I was talking about Zach Wilson where I like to see the mentality. I think Joe Burrow has a fantastic mentality, especially for a guy. You're two-player, and he acts like he's you know, uh, a 12-year vet.
0: Yeah, for sure. He, he exudes the confidence, and, and he's somebody who has been so incredibly successful in such a short amount of time, and in particular, missing most of year one with the torn ACL, I mean, most of half, whatever it was. I mean, that's a significant injury to come off of, especially when you're trying to develop. I mean, you forget – how young and Joe Burrow is perhaps a little, he is a little bit older because of his path throughout college. college. So it's, it's not as quite a young player, but still, you know, we, we see how long did it take Josh Allen to get things going? And, you know, even Patrick Mahomes sat year Uh, one and, and he was able to come back and really explode onto the scene, but it's so impressive what he's doing. And, and even Mahomes, right. We talk about him as a, as a case study. I mean, man, what a situation he walked into. I mean, Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey and, andy reed who is as good a coach Offensive of offense yeah. as anybody in the nfl and joe burrow walks in with this downtrodden organization that has been in an abyss for years upon years and trying yeah. to figure out how the heck do we move forward and then he shows some promise in years one and and, and then tears his dang acl and you're yeah. like okay here we are all over again and what does this team look like and my goodness, the way that he has just transformed this entire organization has been incredibly impressive. And I, I, I'm I'm amazed and blown away by what he and, and this entire team have done. And I, I also think that their defense doesn't get enough credit. I mean, I, I, I mentioned I mean, this to Greg, yeah.
6: but
10: what a job they did in the second on Patrick
0: half. Mahomes in that second half. And Luan Arumo. Who, who is their defensive coordinator, the guy who's the head coach of the defense. Zach Taylor is mm-hmm. calling plays offensively. Yep. And, I mean, it, it's just so impressive what they were able to accomplish. And that, to me, is, is another fascinating element of this. And we'll detail this, of course, throughout the entire week as we're here on Radio Row finishing up on Saturday. But what does the matchup look like? And, and you alluded to it a little bit with just the mentioning of the matchup between Eli Apple and Odell Beckham Jr., but what does it look like for this entire Bengals defense? Because I don't think there are terribly high expectations. I don't think people coming into this season, and in particular when matching them up with other playoff teams, were saying, wow, this is such an incredibly gifted Bengals defense, and yet they had the best defensive performance of anybody in a half in the postseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think those are some... I mean, when we think about the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, I think this was a team, especially with Mahomes' first full season. You know, I think everyone looked at them as this offensive juggernaut that simply couldn't be beat. And look, I, I get we, we go back to that that AFC Championship game in 2018, where you know the 2018 season where you know the Patriots ultimately prevailed, but I don't think it was because the Chiefs got stopped. It's because you know Because
0: they lost the coin toss.
1: They, I mean, that's not really going why I was going to go more lined up in the neutral zone kind of kind of deal. But the Fair. point, but the point is, you know. Whether it's that season and they win the Super Bowl the next year, it wasn't until that Bucks team last year where I, for the first time, in Mahomes' tenure as the starting quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, that, and I, I'm no Todd Bowles fan, as you know, but that was the first time where I had seen a defense actually shut down the Kansas City Chiefs. I had never really seen it before. You want to talk about days where the Chiefs were maybe off? Whatever. They always find a way to rally, and boom, they start clicking again. First time I ever saw a game where the Chiefs just looked, befuddled and I and I get you know they had a bad offensive line at that point completely revamped but you know then we go fast forward to this 2021 season and the Chiefs they did start off slow they weren't really the same Chiefs I think they might have still been really from that Super Bowl loss to be honest they finally hit their stride they quietly amassed one of the best records in the NFL number two seed in the AFC you know they take care of business in in a shootout against the Bills I mean that's what it was and if there's any indictment on the Chiefs in that game it's defensively not offensively the offense was humming and then for the second time you saw a team shut them down, and this time it was the Cincinnati Bengals. Because you go back to that regular season game when the Bengals won, that wasn't really a defensive shutdown. That was, again, more of a shootout, high-scoring game. The Bengals, I was, it's that Bucks team last year in the Super Bowl, and this Bengals team was the first time, the second time, excuse me, that I saw a defense take care of the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'll be interested to see what they do in this game against L.A. That gives me a lot of hope for this game, to be honest. But something else that I want to talk about is this. I want to talk about... A little bit. You want to talk about a storyline? Let's talk about these two franchises and the history of these franchises. You look at the, the I was going to call them the St. Louis Rams, the the Los Angeles oh Rams. You know, it's weird when someone says the the, the Rams. You, I, I usually my initial reaction is, oh, a team that's moved around a couple times in my lifetime. I never like think of them as like a true contender. The simple fact is, the Rams as a as an organization have played in five Super Bowls. They've won uh, one, which was the uh, you know the Kurt Warner greatest, greatest show, show on turf. turf. Yep. They obviously lost another one with Warner in St. Louis. They've now This is their third playing in L.A. They lost in 79 to the Steelers back when, the, you know, the Steel Curtain and all that um, in their original L.A. tenure. And then, obviously, they've been down to two with McVay. And, obviously, look, you just have one win there. But, you know, usually when you think of the great NFL franchises, I don't usually think of the Rams. But, it's I mean, look, I get, you know, they've only won the one. But, I mean, you got to give them some credit. It is hard to get to the Super Bowl. And to be a team that's gone to five Super Bowls in the history of your franchise, despite the fact that you moved around, in L.A., St. Louis, back to L.A., props to them. And then look at the Bengals. The Bengals are one of the most, you know, they're a team born out of the ashes of the Cleveland Browns. You know, Paul Brown gets fired by his namesake organization. He starts the Bengals in, Kansas, in Ohio, Cincinnati. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. The Pat McAfee shows to our right some crazy yeah. shenanigans going on over there. Anyway, the Bengals, and this is, you mentioned it before. This is a team, and I know they made the playoffs a lot with Marvin Lewis. They never won a playoff game. They, they would never win. They had never won a road playoff game in the history of their franchise. You know, this was a team, and let's be really honest. And I get the, the Marvin the Marvin Lewis playoff appearances. This is a team that really hadn't had true success in about you know thirty years, and then thirty five years since Boomer Esiason had since the eighties. Yeah, so for a team, to to me, it finally feels that the Bengals for the first time since the eighties, the first time in my lifetime, they've turned it around. So I'm just it, to me, it's just interesting to look at the history of these two franchises. I, and I and I said it to Greg when he was on. I'm an NFL history junkie. I just find it interesting. But, you know, to me, when I talk about storylines of the Super Bowl, I just kind of look at the, I like to look at the, these two franchises, the history of them and just kind of like what the Super Bowl means to them. You know, I think it's just two teams that, you know, had a lot to happen to them in their history. And, you know, let's see what happens on Sunday.
0: Yeah, uh, it should be fascinating. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing this one and, you know, getting a chance to, to sit down and watch it and. I'm, I'm curious. I was fascinated by something that Greg brought up, too, just in the X's and O's of the whole thing and how bringing down that safety, because there's been so much made about playing these top-flight quarterbacks, whether it be Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, and forcing them to try and play underneath. You, you want to play two high safeties and then make sure that all the throws are underneath and not allowing them the big shot and the ability to make the huge play. But that's not exactly what Lou Onarumo did. I mean, he was bringing a safety down to play that, you know, uh, intermediate route game. And that's somewhere where the, the Chiefs have been really good. And it's the run after catch and somebody in the middle of that defense, Von Bell, a guy who is so important for them to, to kind of take that away. And it, it's, it's really similar to some of the things that the Rams try and attack you with. I mean, they are much more... Vertical with Odell Beckham Jr., but Cooper Cup is a guy who's going to run a lot of crossers. It's a similar offense that you are playing. Of course, it's a different quarterback, not trying to compare Matthew Stafford to being on the level of a Patrick Mahomes, certainly talent-wise. But a lot of those same principles come because the Rams can't get anything going.
1: And I said it a few minutes ago, Nick, and I think you brought it up again. I just think I, I was so impressed by this Bengals defense, the fact that they shut down the Chiefs offense. It makes me believe. I mean, I don't think there's one opponent. They, they don't have the possibility to shut down. And, you know, on paper, I don't necessarily think that the Bengals are, like, this all-time great defense or one of the top defenses in the league, personally. But, you know, t- just that Chiefs' performance was very eye-opening. I mean, look, let's give them credit for the Titans' performance, too. You know, the Titans aren't exactly schlubs on offense. They're not, like, all-time world beaters. But, you know, I, I think that it's just with that I- – I, tr- I trust Joe Burrow. they got playmakers on offense. We'll see about the offensive line. That is obviously a very big concern. Games are won and lost in the trenches, so that, that 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 could be where the game was lost for Cincinnati. But you know, I would say before that Chiefs game, I never thought the Bengals were making it to the Super Bowl. And let's say even in a crazy world, I thought they would. I would have thought it would be a shootout win, and I wouldn't give the the, the Bengals defense a chance against this Rams offense. But given that second half performance, and look, I don't think you can keep the Rams down forever. I mean, maybe you can. Maybe Belichick essentially did it in twenty eighteen, obviously with Matthew, uh, with different
10: Jared, Coffin, yeah. Jared
1: Goffin Jared golf quarterback, which is very different. Um, but I, I just think that we're, we're in store for a great Super Bowl matchup. And, again, I what I also love about this, variety. We are finally getting a Super Bowl matchup, first of all, we've never had before. And it's two teams that we do, I mean, look, I said it with the Rams, who quietly have been to the Super Bowl a lot. But, I mean, like the, we said, the Bengals haven't been to the Super Bowl since the 80s when they played the 49ers. You know, and we've just been inundated with the – and I know Jack probably loved it. But I'm sorry. I was sick of seeing Tom Brady in the Super Bowl all the time. It's, you know, I'm, I don't care. Like, I'm sick of seeing him in there. You know, he's the greatest quarterback. And I for once in a while, I like to see some variety. And I'm glad to see we don't have Peyton Manning or Brady. We don't have the 49ers. We don't have the Steelers. No, it's rams Bengals which might not be the sexiest matchup, but I think it's going to be a game, and I'm excited.
0: I think it's going to be fun. So I'm I'm certainly looking forward to it, and it's good to have that variety, good to have a couple of different teams in here and fresh faces to try and root for as opposed to, you know, the, the old guard and a lot of the same teams there. And, you know, I, I'm interested to see how this thing plays out because it, it's not – they're not two teams that you see all that often. It's a, it's a different matchup and, and should be good in a couple of teams with a lot of familiarity with them. And, you know, we'll, we'll get Jack Roach's input here as he comes back on here. But, you know uh, – is there something that you're looking forward to? We, talk, we touched on it a little bit with the individual matchup, but something else you're looking for?
2: I just want to kind of second what Mike just said, and I know uh, surprise, surprise, but you know I, I actually do see this as you know a breath of fresh air because you've got Stafford. I mean that that's right there. That's something that I'm really excited for seeing Matt Stafford in a Super Bowl. You know he what, made the playoffs three times with the Lions, lost all three. Yeah. And now he's already played more playoff games with the Rams in one season. You know, he deserves to be here. He's an all-time great, um, you know, maybe not Tom Brady. But uh, I. at the same time, then you've got the young buck Joe Burrow, right? He comes off an ACL injury, wins four games as a rookie, and now he's in the Super Bowl, you know. I'm excited to see it. I know we're saying a lot of the same things, but it's the truth, you know. It's the rookie versus the vet, you know, and they're both here for the first time on this stage. And I don't know. I, I'm i not upset about the Patriots not being in it because it's new. It's it's exciting, you know. These are two teams that I want I mean, to see. Like, I mean,
1: I appreciate you saying you're looking for the right Jack, but you can't lie. Come on, you everyone wants to see their favorite team in the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter how many times. Yeah, you're I don't know there. how
2: much I believe that.
1: Well, many, well you, you not, not to say team. that you I don't want your team in the Super Bowl. No, 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 no. no.
2: I, I obviously if it was my you're choice, be, I you appreciate know, you
1: being objective about it.
2: I'm just saying it's it's nice to have some. And I, you know, in when I heard you say that, my first thought was. Well, what about LeBron James? You get upset seeing LeBron James play, and maybe that's a bad example because you're a LeBron guy, right? I am, yeah. But <laughs> you look at the league now, and you've got the Bucks, and you've got the Suns, and Devin. But you know, it's like you actually have parity, you know. Yeah. So, so seeing something different in football, I think is good. It is, but I, we were talking about
0: this, and I don't know if you had jumped you out. I've been walking around. The, the way that the NFL has almost become in some ways the NBA, right? Like the way that you need this star-level quarterback, that talent there, and, and obviously in the NBA you need more than that. You probably need two stars to really be that top-flight contender, but unless you've got that guy, you're not going to compete. You're not going to be able to to win those types of games, and we, we can debate whether Mac Jones will be that guy later, but I'm saying for this year the Patriots didn't have that and they really had no chance. The Steelers didn't have that, and they were a complete mismatch when they took on Kansas City in the first round. How, how did the Eagles look going into Tampa Bay? Because Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. isn't ready to go yet. I mean, these types of teams that when you walk in, even Dak Prescott, right? Dak, there are question marks about how good this guy is at forty plus million dollars a year, and they go in, they get bounced in the first round by a really well put together team. I think it's the cat, so apparent uh, to me that you need that type of guy if that's what your team's going to center around. I mean, San Francisco is built a little bit differently. Uh-huh. Where, and even they realize it. They know that they got to get better at the position, and that's why they're moving off to, to try and bring in Trey Lance and see if that can elevate them mm-hmm. to different heights. And I think they probably, if you ask Kyle Shanahan and, and you ask John Lynch, they're probably a little surprised about how well they played this year. Like the, They were a couple of plays in the second half away from being in the Super Bowl again. I don't know that they really, really expected that. The and <laughs> they, they were proven once again why this, this needs to happen, this transition needs to happen. But it, it it shows you that you need these types of guys. It's so apparent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Nick, you just mentioned it. I, 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 I'm, I, and I said it earlier in the show, and I say it a lot. You know, I'm really someone who really believes at the end of the day it's the players that matter more. Uh, more. I think, you know. It's the players on the field. They're the ones that have to end up executing. You know, there's not a great coach. They didn't have a great quarterback. To, you know, to lead them to those championships. So I, I do think there's always a slight edge to the players. That being said. The NFL, more so than any other league or football, more so than any other sport, coaching has a gigantic impact. I mean, baseball, you change a manager out. I mean, that's going to get you maybe like 5 or 10, maybe 15 more wins. But it's not going to be a huge difference in the end, especially the way baseball is now. But I, I digress. The point is in football, you get the right head coach in there. You can change things instantly. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Dak Prescott. to see the guy. To me, that loss in the playoffs this year against the 49ers, and, look, I get that Dak wasn't great, and I don't think the Cowboys were great, but they had a lot of penalties, all that. But the penalties... And I know
0: where you're going with this and I agree with you. the
1: penalties and uh, some of the other issues, the discipline issues, that falls on coaching and decision making falls on coaching. And to me, the reason what held the the thing that held the Cowboys back so much this year, excuse me, was Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy. And I was someone who actually wanted Mike McCarthy to coach the Jets. I was someone who
10: was (laughs) I I was very
1: wrong. I was very wrong about that. And, you know, I guess it's a miracle that Aaron Rodgers ever won a Super Bowl with that guy. He is just not a good head coach. He, I don't know how he's still the head coach down there. He's obviously not, he's obviously not been fired. He's going to have it another year at least, and I think maybe Sean Payton will finally be brought in. But, you know, I think <laughs> that what I'm getting at here is I bring up the Cowboys and McCarthy and all that. You know, even though, I, like I said, I think players matter more. Coaching is so important, and Nick and I, we mentioned this earlier. I'm just very interested to see Zach Taylor and Sean McVay, two very young coaches, and I get Sean McVeigh has already coached the Super Bowl, but... I just don't necessarily know what to expect out of these guys in the game. And, you know, to me, when you have two young coaches who I know Zach Taylor definitely could, and I, I don't care about the experience, I think Sean McVay still could as well. I think there, I, I have a, I have a bad feeling, well, not a bad feeling because I don't really care what the outcome is, but there's I have a feeling that we're going to see maybe some suspect coaching decisions that, could I mean, usually it's what happens, but could have an impact on the game. I know it's a general vague statement, but... I don't know. To me, I, I see when you have two young coaches the way we do in this matchup, I, I think you're going to see how coaching does matter.
0: I'm with you. No, and I'm fascinated to see what ends up happening too. And Guys who are, are certainly young, and Zach Taylor obviously does not have any experience in a game of this magnitude as a head coach, as the primary decision maker, and, and Sean McVay has got his second go-round, of course. The first one, as we've detailed, did not go very well at all. I mean, he was outclassed by Bill Belichick and, and by that Patriot operation and still looked uncomfortable throughout this playoff run. So, you know, interested to see what we get from him. And it's it's always – there's so much talk about the players. There's always the talk about the players, but I, I feel like there's less attention being paid – to the coaching staffs, and, and that 's always so important because, as you rightly point out, Mike, the impact that coaching can have on organizations and can have on the ability for teams to compete and turn things around, and what Zach Taylor has meant for these types of groups going on for you know Joe Burrow and for the Cincinnati Bengals you, you really appreciate what he has been able to do to help turn this program around and we 're going to see if he can do it one more time here in the Super Bowl and lead Cincinnati to a championship. And, you know, Joe Burrow has been a guy who's just benefited so much from it. And and we'll see if Taylor's impact can lead him all the way to a Super Bowl. We're going to have some movement here. Always some guests here at Radio Row. We are joined now by
3: women's... Bantamweight champion Juliana Pena coming off and huge fight against possibly the best pound-for-pound fighter in the UFC, Amanda Nunes. Juliana, thank you so much for coming on.
11: Thank you guys for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you guys.
3: So I want to start from the top. You came out of that fight plus 650 underdog. What was your mindset going into that fight thinking you have a chance to become champion. You can beat the best women's fighter in the world.
11: You know, I was just focusing on myself. I don't pay attention too much to the odds. That's not my gambit. I will say that uh, the work, the, the amount of work that I had put in, the mat time, gave me supreme confidence that come hell or high water, I was walking away with this belt.
2: I'm curious. Um, you know, you hear stuff coming from Amanda Nunes saying that injuries had something to do with this fight, and I'm sure that you're refuting that. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that?
11: Uh, my thoughts are, you know, everybody's going to say whatever they have to do to, to, to get themselves up and, and to make themselves feel better, you know. Um, Amanda said that, you know, her knee injuries were an issue for the fight. But, like, h- how did that even play into the fight at all? I wasn't kicking her. She was kicking me, you know what I mean? If knees were an issue, then why are you kicking me so much, you know? Um, and the other thing is, is, like, okay, so they miraculously recovered within one month. You know what I mean? Now, the, Back then, it was horrible, but now they're good. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all so confusing. Uh, I don't understand. But, you know, you're going to say whatever you have to say to pump yourself up. So, I, of course, I'm expecting excuses.
3: Did you think it was going to be that dominant of a performance by you? In the first round, she could have gone out by your strikes, to you outstriker completely. Did you think it was going to be that easy for you? or Not easy, but that competitive? Well,
11: no. I I literally, when it was all done, I was like, wow, that was easier than I thought it was going to be. So I wasn't expecting it to be as easy as it was. Um, But I was ready for war um, no matter what. And I had prepared myself for that for the last nine months leading up to the fight. So I was just ready to go. If you would have put Terminator in front of me, I would have killed him. So it didn't matter who they put across from me. I was ready to go.
3: Did you think it was going to Get out of the first round during the fight, or, or what was your mindset during the fight? Yes,
11: absolutely. I was expecting to go five rounds, and I prepared to go five rounds. So I absolutely thought that it was gonna, um, you know, go past the first round. Absolutely.
2: Uh, I can see that you've brought some hardware, you know, <laughs> for, for this interview, and I guess. Earlier in your career, is this something that you realized, something you envisioned further along, sitting here now holding that across your shoulder?
11: Absolutely. When Dana White opened up the doors for women into the UFC, I said, I want to be a UFC world champion. And so it's such a... I don't want to say feather in my cap or pat on the back, but I, I just feel like a sense of justification, like, you did it, old gal. You are who you say you are. You're not this fraud. You're not this delusional person that thinks that they're going to be a world. You know, everyone said I'm going to be a world champion, but when to actually do it, you know, now no one can take that away from me, and I am who I say I am.
3: I want to go back to your last three fights. You lost to Rondame. You beat Sarah McMahon, and then you obviously beat Amanda Nunes. You lost You lost. The first one by submission, you won the next two by very naked choke as well. Do you think people overlook your striking as well? Do you think Amanda overlooked your striking?
11: I definitely think so. But if you go back to the fights with Valentina Shevchenko, if you mm-hmm. go back and watch the fights with Jermaine Duraniman, I'm beating them. I'm outstriking these strikers that are supposed to be the best strikers in the world. I'm outstriking them at their own game. I definitely think that people underestimate me. They don't want to give me that credit, but now they have no choice. I am a threat on the feet. I am a threat on the ground. I'm a threat in wrestling, on the cage, on jiu-jitsu, everywhere. I'm comfortable wherever the fight goes, and, and if you don't take me seriously, you should.
3: What was it like... Getting back in the gym after that loss to Rondame, how do you have that motivation to keep fighting, to keep going, um, and to really just be the champ now?
11: I accredit that to uh, my uh, striking coach, Wayne Gregory. He literally said, you have to stay active. You have you have to take another fight right away. So uh, after that fight with Jermaine, I went right back into another camp, and I got ready a month later to go fight Sarah McMahon. And so staying active, I think, is the one thing that I think helped me um, get to that spot where I was going to be fighting for the title after that.
2: We're here after quite possibly the biggest match of your career. What is next for the Venezuelan Vixen?
11: Okay, so next for me is there's still naysayers. There's still people that think it was a fluke. There's still people that think that I just accidentally fell into this uh, gold belt, and I'm here to tell you that it wasn't a fluke, but if you think that it was, we can run it back. Next week, next month, tomorrow, whenever you want, we can run it back. Uh, My job is to get more eyes on the sport and to get more people involved in the UFC and and, and in MMA, Um, and I'm going to do that by coaching this next season of The Ultimate Fighter. We've been filming for two days tomorrow's day three and i'm so excited to to give back to where it all started for me and to you know finally have things coming full circle i started on the ultimate fighter now i'm coaching the ultimate fighter and to have that build up of ultimate fighter coming out leading up into that rematch i think is the best possible scenario for me and that is what's happening with us
3: First woman to win the Ultimate Fighting Championship as well, let me add to that. And and I'm sure we're going to see you and Amanda go at it again. I wanted to ask you about training camp. How many months before your fight do you get back in the gym and start really training hard for the fight instead of just one time a day, maybe a couple times a week?
11: Yeah, so I go from training three times a day to maybe like once uh, once a day and not once a day, six days a week. It's maybe like I'm training three or four days a week instead of, you know, three times a day every single day except Mm -hmm. Sundays. So I've definitely scaled it back a little bit, especially with all the media obligations and all that. It was the holidays right after I won and then it was the New Year's and there was tons of media obligations in January. Now we're going into February, going right into that ultimate fighter thing. But, you know, I'm still training. I'm training with my team. I'm getting on the mats with my team. I'm not going to ask them to do anything that I wouldn't require of myself. And that means getting my hands dirty and getting on the mats just as much as they are. Yesterday was day one of us first training session together and I'm bleeding I got cuts on my feet you know I'm out there grinding with my team just as much as I would if I was actually a contestant on the show and I think that that is uh, what's going to lead to the success of this next rematch.
2: Last question for me I don't know if you've got any more but what's it like I guess just from the perspective of being a role model you know an ambassador um, for the sport as a female in a in the past predominantly male dominated sport?
11: Yes. So that's a great question. I don't want to put myself in a box or try to categorize myself for just a role model for women or just a role model for mothers. I want to be able to be that voice to other people. I want people to set realistic expectations for themselves. But with that being said, Go out there and get what you want. If you're truly passionate about something, if you're dedicated, if you put that mat time in, whether it looks like mat time on the jujitsu mats or mat time in whatever your profession is or whatever your passion is, pursue that with your whole heart and and do not be deterred if somebody says no or if somebody denies you. You cannot have a whiny baby type of mentality. This sport especially is not for the weak. And when one door closes, three more are gonna open. You have to have a dog mentality and a never give up type of attitude. And when you have that. That attitude of persevering and fighting against adversity and overcoming those odds that's what's going to give you that confidence, and that's what's going to make you say, I can hang with the best in the world, I am the best in the world, and uh, I'm not going to stop and I'm never going to give up, no matter what.
3: What makes you motivated enough to face that adversity that you face during a fight, whether you're bleeding, whether you're injured ribs in training camp, what gives you that motivation to keep going out in the cage fighting while you're even injured still?
11: Um, it's the fact that I've been doing this for a long time and it's the fact that I've stepped in there with the best of the best. I've been in there with world champion after world champion after world champion and when you have the tough road that I've had, it gives you the confidence to know that you can literally hang with anybody that steps across the octagon from you and fighting in general or even just training jujitsu, that's what it shows you. It shows you that you can fight at a tough positions and when you're in tough positions to remain calm remain calm and fight your way out and find your way out you have to put yourself in uncomfortable positions in order to succeed and in order to see what you're really made of and i think that that's the one thing that jiu-jitsu has taught me is is you can overcome those odds by putting yourself in those uncomfortable positions and fighting your way out
3: Juliana Pena, thank you so much for coming on. The future of women's fighting right here, the Bantamweight Champion of the World. It was a thank pleasure to speak to you.
11: Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate the time.
0: Thank you. That was you. that was awesome. Juliana Pena, UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion, as we wrap up here on one on one from the Los Angeles Convention Center. The guys getting a photo op here, so we gotta make sure that we've got all that handled before. We close out here on one-on-one. On One. So many outstanding guests that we had an opportunity to speak with today. Nick Mangold, Doug Freeman, Marcus McNeil, Lee Steinberg, Marcus Capone of SEAL Team 6, Greg Cosell, Juliana Pena, the UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion. Appreciate all of them coming on. Mike's got a pose with the championship belt too. Off to our right. Make sure that he's all set. Got his photo op, just about set here as he's got that one. I just got to make sure that I get my you know final thoughts from a, a
1: quality day one here before we head out. Well, my day peaked about ten minutes into the show when I got to interview Nick Mangold. so it's all been downhill since. Now this has been, this is everything that Radio Row is about. It's about. Coming out here, meeting people from uh, media, the world of sports, specifically football, because that's what the Super Bowl is, is the NFL. Um, and then just be able to talk sports. Like, this is exactly what it's all about. This is what I've envisioned. This is what I've always wanted to do. I thought we, I thought even just aside from the amazing guests today, and shout out to all of them. I mean, Nick, Nick, Nick Mangle, Lee Steinberg, uh, Doug Freeman, uh, Marcus, uh, the tackle from the... Marcus Williams, thank McNeil. you. McNeil. Marcus McNeil. McNeil
2: excuse, <laughs> Marcus Williams. That's excuse my, me. Good thing I was muted.
1: <laughs> Marcus McNeil. Excuse me. I apologize, Marcus. He was a great guest. Uh, left tackle for the Chargers. Um, you know, so many more. Um, I'm Greg Cosell. Just uh, just
2: great, great day, and I've had an amazing time. Just thrilled to be here.
3: Two more days to go. We can do it all the next 48 hours oh. as well. Can't uh, wait.
2: Last thing that I want to say is that, you know, when we're trying to book people or try and get interviews, you know, the, the former NFL players, the NFL expertise, you know, that pops out. That's someone that, you know, makes sense to have on. But to me, I had so much fun talking to Marcus Capone yes. and Juliana Pena, two people that do not play football. So, you know, it, it's so nice getting to be able to sit down with people and talk to them face-to-face, you know, hear what they're all about. And, you know, you just don't get that without being here. So, you know, guys... I had a blast today, wouldn't want to do it with anyone else, and looking forward to do it for two more days. So yes. that's it. Guys, appreciate
0: it. We will, of course, be back tomorrow, right back here at the Los Angeles Convention Center in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. Cincinnati Bengals and Los Angeles Rams meeting up on Sunday. That should just about do it for us for one-on-one. Special thanks to former Jets center Nick Mangold, Doug Freeman, the co-founder of, of the Arena Football Association, Marcus McNeil, former Chargers Pro Bowl left tackle, Lee Steinberg, the NFL agent, Marcus Capone of SEAL Team Team 6, Greg Cosell of NFL Films, and Juliana Pena, the UFC women's bantamweight champion. If you missed any of today's segments, interviews, or special features, all the content from today's show will be available on demand on the WFUV Sports YouTube channel. The sports director of WFUV is Bobby Chaffardini. The producer has been all of us. We're, we're all just hanging <laughs> Not out, me. I didn't trying, anyway. <laughs> trying our best to keep ourselves on the air for Mike Messina, Jack Roach, Mike Leegan. I'm Nick DeLuca. Thanks for hanging out with us one on one. A production of W F U V Sports. Have a good one, everybody.